Hello and welcome to the Regroup Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Walker. And, and today, today on the, the show, show my, my guest, guest is Jared Moore, a.k.a. Mundy. Um, I've known Jared for many years. Uh, he's a good friend of mine and uh, he's just one of the most incredible, incredible human, human beings, beings that, that I, I know. know. Um, he is just so multi-talented he's so um incredible with practical aspects of life but he's also really philosophical um jared's mainstay uh, is in event management um he's a brilliant sound engineer uh has a lot to do with uh, a lot of the big bigger transformational festivals that are happening in australia at the moment and uh, he happens to live in in my neck of the woods so this conversation, um, look, we really had, as with all the conversations on my, my podcast, podcast we, we, we didn't, didn't really have a set agenda. Uh, it was just sitting down and, and getting, getting the chance, chance to have, to have a, a chat, chat together. And we really talk about some incredible things. Uh, uh, as always, society, culture, um, interactive, interactive dynamics, dynamics. Uh, social media, a bit of politics and spirituality weaved into it. Um, but we, we explore a lot of the dynamics of, of transformational festival culture. Um, we discuss AI, all sorts of things. This is an incredible conversation and uh, I, I really hope that you enjoy it too. So give it up for Jared Moore. Welcome to the Read Read Podcast. Read Read yeah, heaps of stuff. Mm, nice mic. So welcome, man. Yeah, thank you. Welcome. It's about time I got you here. Yeah, good to be here. To do the podcast. Mm. Yeah, it's been it's been super fun, man. And yeah, bro, I um I I thought about this concept a while ago, and you were one of the original people that I, I sort of thought I made a list of people that I wanted to have good conversations with. And document them, and, and you're up there as one of the original ones, man. Awesome, I'm honoured. Because yeah, I've always always found conversations with you meaningful, Jared. I've always appreciated your your friendship and who you are, and the conversations we've had have been up there with some of the best of them for me. Yeah, I feel much the same way. Uh, you know, well, yeah, we, we should definitely have some good combos we do man and so yeah as i was sort of saying before we sort of started here i think it'd be a really good idea to kind of give the the listeners a bit of a context after a while we'll sink into it and we'll just get into a conversation and won't even really realize that we're speaking into a microphone and there's listeners there yeah but on the outset i think in this case it's really worth sort of explaining that you and i have known each other for a long time yeah um, a long time maybe over 10 years mm. and yeah experienced various 
facets of life together and ups and downs in all sorts of different ways. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's really important to sort of share that with, with listeners because the little nuances come out in these kind of conversations when it's really this long format. Sure. So, um, yeah, look, I, I really think that uh, it'd be really worthwhile just opening up the floor to you and just giving the listeners who, who don't know who you are a bit of a bio, if you're open to that. Just sharing whatever you want about yourself and who you are. Yeah. I, um, well, while I get your coffee. Well, yeah, <laughs> Is all right. that cool? Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll, leave, I'll leave you to introduce yourself and I'll right. get your coffee. Well, cool. Um, oh, my name's Jared Moore. I am known affectionately by my peers as Jaramundi or Mundy. Um, kind of been, I don't know, I guess a piece of furniture around Cairns for <laughs> my, <laughs> my entire life. Um, uh, I think probably, what, what would you say that, because uh, I'm actually having a hard time remembering how we actually became friends and when. Wow. It was that long ago, um, but it was definitely through music and and the festival scene, which, which you know, I guess I've been a, a kind of a part of in this town for a long time. Um, um, this is tricky, Adam. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, uh, that's all right um oh. but yeah musically oh, man. and through sound i guess this is my passion and um is how i got to know adam and it was yeah more than 10 years ago i want to spin out yeah it was definitely one of the main memories man is when you did Island Vibe. Oh, Island Elements. Island Elements. Was yeah, okay. So that was, that was uh, 2010, 2011. Yeah, which was, uh, that was like a, a series of little parties that I did on an island out of Cairns called uh, Fitzroy Island. And they were, they were definitely special. <laughs> um, you know, interesting, interesting time. I uh, would have liked to have continued doing those events, actually, but um, it was kind of uh, well. It was it was kind of a contra deal with the guy that was the event manager there at the time, and and um, yeah, I don't think it could have continued the way it was continuing for That's any amount right, of time. Man. That's right. That's right. But man, I I. I do have this recollection of being introduced to you by Isaac Roberts. Okay. Earlier than that, I mean that's yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. I I do believe I I definitely remember knowing you before then. Yeah. Um. But I can't remember in what context. Yeah. Well, I, I'm pr I'm pretty certain that it was the connection f that I recall is through Isaac Roberts. Yeah maybe 
a Wongeti party or some kind of local, local no party. I'm actually le- I'm, I'm sort of leaning more to, like I reckon when I first met you was um, around 2004 2005 yeah, and you had the yeah. skate shop around the corner from the inbox and I was working at the inbox I used to come in there yeah. used to come in there quite regularly yeah, and I think I remember. Well, well, the other. I don't think we were really necessarily friends then, but yeah. We well, actually, well, now that you say that, I do recall that man because, yeah. Oh, yeah n- now I do recall that it was my ex-wife that introduced yep. me to you. Right. Yep. And you guys had known each other, having both grown up in this this region. Yep. And I, I, I think it was at the inbox. Yeah. I mean that. Yeah, we used to have a lot of lot of parties there so yeah. I, I did used to go there a bit mm. so yeah it was it would have been 2004 2005 yeah and I was mucking around with, the, with like Dan Zuth and like the cinch crew and doing the Zodiac parties and were you part of were you part of Versus Isaac's party Versus not really no no I, I fixed his generator for him and that, that was about it <laughs> oh my god man do you do you know the story behind that like hey not not a hundred percent. I know, like I know exactly what happened, but I don't know. Do you? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I can't. Uh, believe we haven't had this conversation, have we? No, I don't think so. I can't believe we haven't had this conversation. I believe that um, <laughs> some tall right, do, you, quinkin, do you want me to tell you the story? <laughs> well, it's, okay. I'll tell you what I think I know about it. Okay. All right, Isaac. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Who we poured fuel love, into yeah. the sump. Isaac poured fuel into the sump of the generator and and basically vacuum locked it. Um, so we had to let, we had to get some fuel out of the sump to, to let it run again. Again. So and that now, was you and Alex, yeah. Yeah. Right, so you want to, you know, the prelude to that story? No, I'd love to hear it. <laughs> this is gold. So I was, um, I was very contributive to that event. I mm. supported Isaac sort of developing it and designing it and we helped try and develop decor and we're part of the, the crew yep and i hadn't really had a lot of event experience apart from being in bands and being on stage but not really behind the scenes event stuff really at that stage yeah so i was pretty fresh at it so i was just doing whatever i could to help as you do yep um isaac was pretty busy that evening <laughs> and yes he was running around doing all sorts of stuff and he came up to me and he was like ads 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 we need to get fuel down in the mainstay generator like they're running out of fuel like you really need to go really quickly and get it and i'm like <laughs> i've got really bad eyes like you know i don't know if we've had any like really interesting experiences together where i can't see and no no you, you usually got your your glasses with yeah you. My, my eyes are pretty bad and but at night time it's it's worse and especially at a party man where there's like light Refracting off all different kinds of shiny things, yeah, yeah, you know, psychedelic um, decor and all sorts of stuff. Mm. So, I, I don't know if you remember, there was this little, little tiny like two door Ute thing that used to be at the Kangavention, brown hornet. Yeah, um, I remember that. He goes, he goes, here, take that, take that over there, put the fuel in there, and then drive it across the whole middle of the party over to the main stage. Baxter's gonna be playing on stage. And so I'm like, Isaac, I'm like, dude, 
I can't do that. It's too dangerous for me. I can't see very well in the, in the evening time. I can't do it, man. And he's just like, starts walking off coming, you'll be right, yeah, yeah, you'll be right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I found somebody at the time and managed who, who could do it, who was willing to do it. Yeah. Because uh, I just didn't feel safe doing it. And we loaded up and we drove the fuel across. And we got there, like, really slowly, 2Ks an hour, through all the people, <laughs> got around the back of the stage to the generator. And um, we, we dropped it off and we're like, well, we don't know anything about generators, man, but yeah. I've never d- played with generators at, at this time of yeah. my life before. And I'm like, well, do you know how to do it, man? And the dude that drove the little brown horn and over is like, no, nah, I don't know how to do it. Do you know how to do it? And we're like, nah. So we go up to um, to Dan, who was mixing. Yeah. And um, he was so busy and he's like, oh, man, like, it's easy as, like, it'll be fine. Like, you just got to find the fuel. Just put it in. Like, you know, just find the fuel valve, open it, put it in. And I'm like, man... This generator's pretty big. It was a big, big... Yeah, I remember it, yeah. And um, anyway, I ended up going, look, man, I, was, I can't... I don't feel comfortable doing that. So I'm starting to, like, ask people. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know if I should name names. I won't. But there was a young lady at the time who was having a good time. She was enjoying herself. She was in the flow. She was feeling it. Yep. And um, I happened to say to her, do you know how to fuel the generator she goes yeah yeah for sure yeah no worries it's fine yeah we'll be able to do it it's cool no worries yeah here just open this and there's a panel down the bottom that's don't open yeah the sump yeah shut it all down it yep. shut the stage down all the lights everything went yep. black yep it just went <laughs> and this this girl just completely freaked out and ran off into the forest <laughs> <laughs> who was it just mouthed to me Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> and then it come out. Oh, I don't want her to feel bad about no, no, no. it. I'm sure if, if we asked her consent, she'd probably be totally cool with it. Yeah. But, yeah. It was just run just off into cool. the forest. Just, uh-huh. And um, so, anyway, I'm standing there with people who don't have any idea about this thing. We, we get on the radio and we're like, Isaac, 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 like, you know, this has just happened. Like, this panel got opened and it shut the whole generator down. The stage is down. He burns down there and he's just like in a state like, oh my God, get it, we got to get it back up, we got to get it back up, right? Yeah. Come on, we got to do it now. Like, yeah. uh, and he just opens the oil sump and just starts pouring the fuel in. <laughs> oh God. Man, man. <laughs> I love you, Isaac, so much, but it was one of the most intense scenes I've ever experienced. <laughs> I, know, I know what Isaac gets like when he's, when he's on one. <laughs> so that was, that was how that all happened. And then, yeah, and then all of a sudden Alex arrived and you were with Alex, were you? Uh, I, got, I think I got he there. Wasn't, he wasn't there on site at the time. I, I, we were waiting for him to get there and Pete Vanderboss came. And I think I wanted up, up there to see what was going on. Mm-hmm. And I had, a, um, I had what was, what I called at the time, my nana on me, which was a knife with a spanner on it. <laughs> and we managed to when 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 I think I got there at just about the same time as Alex, and it was just kind of like good timing because yeah. he didn't have the tool to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, we just took the um, the 
the bung sump. out of the bottom of the sump and, and drained, drained the drained fuel, the fuel out. out. Yeah, yeah. re-oiled it. And, and uh, oh man, I don't even mind. think we put fresh oil in it. We just lowered the lowered it until because it, it was a diesel. Uh, we just lowered it until it wasn't vacuum locked anymore and and it could run. Oh man, that was it was pretty funny. That was it was really crazy. But man, for for me, Monday, like that was a extremely significant part of my life. Like experiencing that for me was the first time that I'd ever really been involved as a crew with an event like that. Yeah. So for me, that whole scene and how it all unfolded was just it was just incredible. You know, it, it solidified for me the the power of community and people coming together and, and making stuff. I hadn't seen it before like that. So yeah. it was a really significant event for me. That it one. was a good event. It was, it was, um, yeah, it was, it was kind of landmark times. That was, a, that was a good time for the music scene and the festival scene in Cairns. Cause it was like, what was it? 2006, I think. Was it 2006? And then, and, and that was kind of like when, five. Huh? 2005? Yeah, Think that'd five. be about right. And, and that was when, like, Audiogasm and Winter Solstice yes. and yeah. all of those kind of festivals were kind of were kicking off yeah. around here. And, um, well, man, this, the start I, I, of a I golden really, time, really. I'd really like to talk about that with you. Yeah. I think it's really, really important um, reminiscing to be done. Yeah. Um, however, I just want to bring your attention. <laughs> I haven't um, brought your coffee out yet. Yeah. <laughs> because... I realised that the milk is off. Oh dear! <laughs> and I brought it into your coffee that I made for you. Oh, uh, lumpy. So I'm not going to serve that to you. All right. So, would you? I don't know if I've got any other milk. All right. Would you like me to make you a black coffee? Yeah, black coffee's fine. All right. So I'm gonna, yeah, right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pause this. Yeah. All right. So I'm gonna make you a coffee. Yep. And then we can come back and we can get stuck into reminiscing about audiogasm and about winter solstice. Yeah. Great, this cool, is a, this and is it's an important kind of, talk. This is the kind of chunk that I hoped would come up, man. Awesome. We'll, we'll go again. Okay, we've got mine working. Yeah, Yours I'm working? pretty sure mine's yeah! working. Okay. All right, we're winning. Ah, yeah, man. Um, yeah, I've had a few few bad times with some audio tech problems, eh, in the middle yeah. of the podcast. <laughs> Did I tell you what happened with Cordy? No. Man... I didn't have a I didn't have this set up when I spoke to Cordy. Okay. And to cut a long story short, I did it on my iPhone. Oh right. And we had a break. Yeah. To go to the toilet. I pushed stop on it. And then when we started again it wiped the whole file. <laughs> and we done we done about an hour and a half, I think. <laughs> it was bad. So um he's coming back. He's coming back. Cordy's gonna do another one? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's um yeah, we had a great conversation, man. All the conversations have been fantastic. All right, so I think we're working now. We got everything we need. Rock and roll. All right, that's enough gain for you there, is it? You well, just it seems so. Well, I'm getting something. Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to turn that up just a tad. Just uh, give us a song, man. Give us, give us something. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all right. You're coming through. Looks better. Yeah. Yep. Cool, man. So we were, we paused where we were just starting to. Uh, we were, we were unraveling the narrative that is the cans. Doof scene. scene, yeah. Um, so, yeah, man, that, that verses. Uh, I, I just, I just want to sort of touch on that for a second because, see, at the time I was studying psychology. Yep. And so I was learning a lot about, and, and I was also studying anthropology. So I was learning a lot about symbology 
and learning how uh, you know we could we could use aspects of psychological insights to make an event more resonant sure and so i was i was fairly attracted to this idea that that isaac had about verses because i don't know if you remember at the time it was actually in competition with dreamscape which is why uh, i called it verses yeah what was on the same time yeah yeah i mean dreamscape <laughs> it was what it was it was it was not you know it was not a um I always looked at it as kind of more, it was more like a rave party, mm, mm. you know. It was which is what, in my understanding, Isaac was trying to make a statement about. Yeah. Then that's hence why he called it verses and saw it in that that light. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like I, he always sort of spoke fondly of of the, um, what was it, seismic motion, seismic, yeah. the crew that yeah, James um, was was it. Yeah, was it so, it was seismic. Oh, I can't remember. Yeah. yeah, it was so long ago. Um, but he always spoke fondly of, of them, but had this real staunch philosophy about how the universe works and how you know how we should be investing in it, and still does to this day. Yeah, absolutely. Can't wait to have Isaac on the podcast, man. Yeah, <laughs> he's an interesting guy. <laughs> man. He rang me the other night. <laughs> like uh, he was in a state, <laughs> and I'm like, "Where are you, man?" And he was like. I'm at this ayahuasca temple. <laughs> oh, right. Oh, and, yeah. Um, no, he's down at the Living Arts Sanctuary with, yeah. with Genevieve and... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so he was just introducing me to all these people on the phone. <laughs> like He rang me up and he was like, man, I've got this guy here that's like brilliant at like videoing and digitizing stuff and he, you really need him for your podcast. Like he can make all the videoing happen and all this stuff. Like, and he's introducing me to people on the phone and <laughs> it was yep. cool. He's a cool character. Have you been there? No. It's a it's an amazing space. I I, I do want to. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, yeah. I stayed there. Me and Julie stayed there for for a little while. It was really awesome. Yeah. 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 I've heard heard a lot about it. Yeah. I, I I would like to. Haven't really done a lot of traveling much in the last few years. Mm. Um, but I'd like to. And there's there's a lot of new places I'd like to go travel to and visit. But um, before we we get too far off on a different tangent Tangents, entirely. Yeah. Um, and that's okay if we do. We can yeah. go off attendance. But I do like to uh, bring it back to... Yeah, no, we're on a good thread. We'll keep it going. So, yeah, man, that... that, that, I'm tr- that What I'm trying to share in the significance of what Versus was as an event was that, for me, first real experience of this idea of an event being a medium for transformation. Right. And it having a meaning other than to come together and you know, get intoxicated and and dance all night, and there was much more intention on sort of maybe why we're doing it. Yeah. Uh, in at least in terms of, I was part of that crew, and so those of us who were supporting its development and its manifestation were having conversations like that. Yeah. And we were all at uni at the time, so you know we yeah, and then. Um, yeah, then there was a lot of other events, man. I mean, um, for me, you know, I, I did a lot of stuff at uni. Yeah. I don't know if I ever re- recall you coming to any of the events that we did at uni, but we had the Stingers Bar, the original uh, Stingers Bar that was, was at JCU Cairns. Yeah, and I remember that place. I used to 
take speakers down every Thursday. Okay. And it would all just be beers after class. Yeah. Then I'd play rock and pub music and that, and everyone yeah. would like start feeling the vibe. Often I'd have um, bands come along. Uh, you know, it was it was one of the first manifestations of Brandon Cassidy's. Uh, musical endeavors when he used to play with tegan costa yeah uh, we had all sorts of like travelers the um, international students that would come through and they just have some sort of amazing talent and i can remember amazing violinist and uh, harmonica players it was rad you and know i do i i think i i did go to a couple of things out at stingers um with friends, but I don't think I really knew then. Because you never studied never, at JCU, did you? No, no. Um, no, academia has never really been a part of my thing. Well, but man, this is this is something else that I, I actually eventually want to talk to you about as well. Mm. Just in terms of how you channel your Akashic knowledge, man, because it's always impressed me. Well... But that's another tangent. Like it's a whole other tangent. Unless you got something you want to share now. Um, yeah, that was a big palm front. I, 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 if I find a, if I find a, an aspect that I'm interested in, I'll pursue it. Mm. You know, and I'll go down my own roads to find out more about it until I get to the core of whatever it is that I'm trying to understand about it. And you know that that kind of encompasses a, a lot of stuff you know uh, there's n- nothing really incredibly I, mystical about it well yeah I, I I definitely don't purport that it's mystical any more than anyone that's developed the framework mm. of being able to have a you know have a process to be able to acquire knowledge and apply it and critically analyze and review um however what i maybe have tried to attempt to share with you before um but i don't know if i've ever hit the nail on the head is that i've always found it fascinating that you have a process of of how to acquire knowledge and how to apply it how to critically analyze it and review it that is very high quality it's it's as equal to if not probably better than what people learn when they do go to university or do sort of tertiary studies the the way that your mind processes and works has a component of empiricism and and scientific um merit to it and i find that fascinating to be honest jared like i i yeah i've always found that you've always wanted to explore topics with me like just and you've just you've never kind of shied away from having a conversation or um, oh, i couldn't see uh, i couldn't see much point in 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 shying away from exploring new topics you know what i mean uh, to well, me it's, it's you know you're never gonna i don't know that would seem futile to me yeah well well to me too yeah but yeah uh, the, the way that you go about it yeah i i i find it i just i find it very valuable amongst people the way that people think you know can lean them towards heaven or lean them towards hell and 
you know they have got to learn that somehow and you know you've you've learned it through your own experiences through your own processes and yeah it's more of an acknowledgement than than anything that oh, I, just, I really appreciate I, that I, I like the way your mind works it's, uh, yeah I don't know if I could really um, shed much light on it I mean I've, I have got there is a couple of things that I use um, kind of techniques like I have a um, I have a I have a mind castle uh, which is kind of like a place that I can go to it's like a it's a structure that I've built in my mind and it's got various rooms in it um, with various objects in the rooms and each room has a a context and every every item in the room has a uh, um, like a topic attached to it to do with the context of the room and, and it, it's kind of like a memory it's to help me remember and contextualise and compartmentalise uh, things and that was, a t- that was something I learnt mm. how to do when I was quite young yeah, okay. I was going to say, like, that sounds like something that you, you've learned. Yeah, it's I've a learned very structured how to do that. way. Of, yeah. And, and I want to share with you, too, that without being too psycho- psychology on you, mm. it's actually different than a memory. And we call it a mnemonic. A m- mnemonic, yeah. So it's a, uh, a way that we can um, develop a heuristic so that we can interpret the world through a, a system of understanding mm. that's based on structure that we've kind of created ourselves and to be able to do it ourselves is an empowering process yeah and that is definitely what i see in you i see a really uh, sovereign kind of mind like you've created your framework of how you use your mind and yeah it's it's something i really admire in you well thanks man i i yeah um because i don't like i, I was a high school dropout um, school, uh, not for any re- reason except for that mode of. It just didn't. It wasn't me. Yeah. You know, I, well, I had to get out of there. And this is why I think it's important to actually talk about it and bring it up. Because, yeah. Sure. You know, I, I, there are, there is evidence all around that the the current education system and the, the structures of of uh, educational culture uh, really need to be revivified they're not really very functional and effective no i would agree with Um, that so to be able to you know have people like yourself out there that uh didn't fit into that education paradigm and be still be able to think like you do i think it's really important to start looking at well you know why what could because there's something in the process the way that you've learned that is probably going to benefit the education system like is um there's things that are not being offered and addressed within the, the educational sphere that is on offer at the moment yeah sure i mean if the, if that if that was a if that was something that was open to being talked about by um by whoever's you know in charge of the of the um the structure of the education system mm. you know if that that was I guess up for grabs, but it seems like that it's probably fairly concreted. You know, man, I I've got this feeling that pretty soon the 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 
specific people in positions that you seem to be referring to there won't actually have much choice about the matter. You know, from the fact that the internet can provide any uh, type of, of known information uh, at the click of a few buttons pretty much makes the traditional way of, of teaching pretty much redundant. Sure. And then, you know, there's definitely the social aspects of, of schooling and being able to play games and yep. learn boundaries and learn how to treat each other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that still needs to be done at a local level. Yeah. But any kind of practical experience that has been on offer at schools in traditional mainstream education currently is going to be superseded very quickly, I think, by VR technology. And yeah. That, yeah. You know, you've got a young, you've got a young boy. Mm. And yeah, his education actually is, uh, we, we've got to decide what, um, what path we're going to go down with his education yeah, at the do. moment. Yeah. Because uh, we've got to put him in school next year, you know. Next year? Yeah. Oh, he's going to be. Yeah. Cool. Wow. Um, and, and, and we've got no idea. Like, I, I don't, mm. uh, I, you know, because of my own experience, I don't really feel too attached to the idea of sending him to state school. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And my yeah. experience wasn't everybody's experience either, you know. Like, I had a... Um, I had an interesting uh, school experience. Um, I don't really, I don't know. I don't really want to go into too too much detail with it, but it sure. definitely colours my perspective on what I want for my son. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we you know we talk about a lot of a lot of alternatives, you know, either homeschooling and tutoring and mm. or um i mean we looked at steiner school but that seemed a little bit too culty and mm-hmm. and it's yeah man it's a hard it's really hard call it yeah is it is really really difficult. difficult and you know i i i really believe that it's gonna be shaken up sooner than what we think well that'd be good i mean i i, I don't I, I don't necessarily know... I think it's going to take a lot longer to seep into policy and, and really have a long-term impact on the uh, sort of the, you know, the actual consumer level of mm. education. But, I mean, I've had talks to you in the past about VR technology and uh, you've, you've been onto it longer than anyone else really that I know in my life. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if I, I shared with you uh, at the beginning of this year, I was down in Victoria and... Uh, we were on holidays there and we went into a, a shop where there was a space at the back of the shop and um, the shop sells, sells crystals and all sorts of cool, cool new agey kind of stuff. And the back of the shop, there was a guy setting up a VR space. Oh, and, wow. <laughs> and Tyler, my young boy, is just so into it all. Uh, he started asking, you know, can I have a go? Can I have a go? Uh, you know, what is it? You know, it's a HTC Vive setup. Yeah, which you were the first one that taught me really about HTC Vives. Yeah, and I'd never seen them before. I'd only ever discussed them with you. Mm. And to cut a long story short, this guy was building this this space. So it was just a room that the HTC Vive was was purpose built room for the for the Vive. Yep. And his plan was to have, and he told me that he'd had months of bookings pre booked already for schools to come and do excursions 
at the virtual reality center that he was hooking up. Well, and I was like, you know, that's that's pretty aspirational. Like, and at this stage, you know, I'm I'm still learning about it all. You know, you talk you told me about the the shark the shark one oh the shark st- age yeah, on, stuff yeah, like on that ps4 and and oh that was a ps4 one yeah, that's right. yeah 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 but but then we we went into talking about htc vive and you know you kind of have to adapt your thinking from a games-based kind yeah. of environment to an educational platform mm. and that is kind of i was at that time i was still going through that transition in my thinking yeah and so i said to him like you know what sort of stuff can you offer schools and he kind of looked at me with this like you know are you are you for real man yeah, are you yeah. kidding <laughs> and he goes have you ever seen this and i said no nah. and he goes all right have a go so he puts it on and he goes check this out downloads buttons tap 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 tapping and he puts me into like i don't remember what it was called but it was the equivalent of like the virtual reality of the smithsonian institute mm. and he goes right it's a full interactive environment you're in an the Smithsonian Institute he goes you can jump in this environment I just do jumping motions jump over to that corner over there I jump over there and there's a like a terrarium with a spider and he goes pick up the spider and you pick up the spider and then you're like you're holding the spider and you push a button and then all of a sudden all the information about all the anatomy of the spider comes up and you can rotate it around and look at it yeah and my mind's just going what the fuck man and then he goes, right, check this out. He downloads Heart Surgeon Simulator. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, this, this is going to be how people train right. in the future. I mean, they're already doing it to some degree as far as I understand. Yeah. But the very fact that a school can develop an environment that would nurture the socialization, yeah. the practical socialization for young people, but then they can go to a VR space and practically visit the Great Wall of China or, you know, go back in history or, you know, it's totally Bill and Ted's excellent adventure style. You can do whatever you want kind yeah, of education. And, and that's like, and that, that sort of stuff is like, that's the, um, I think that's only really skimming the surface of like, that's the, like the tangible uh, real world Application. application of VR um, where you're dealing with stuff that you, you you know you could experience in the real world Let the side, explore it man tell me what are you, what are you thinking the, uh, the, I think that the real application for VR will be uh, in stuff that you can't actually experience in the real world um, the more abstract like being a like psychological um even just stuff like being able to do something like what i was talking about before where you we're building a mind castle Mm, mm, right mm, but mm. you're not doing it in your mind you can actually it's an actual 3d space that you can go to so as you're describing this i'm i'm envisioning like the way that our access to watching movies mm. and watching the depiction of someone's imagination on a screen right the way that that would influence our neurology right and be able to implant cultural narrative yep into our psyches would be it, it would be akin to how much that changed us so from before we had movies 
to then when we were able to go and see Star Wars or Avatar on the screen, yeah, yeah. it would be an equivalent kind of transformation of the human psyche in the context of experiencing a movie. Far in, more powerful. It, like, but, but it, in terms of trying to develop a way of describing it yeah, and yeah, explaining sure. it. Yeah, yeah. But because it is being experienced, it is far more powerful. Yeah. And when, you know, for me, I'm thinking like you could actually go into Avatar or go into the Matrix and expe- like be, be in the middle that of character. Expe- like, I mean, it's, it is, to me, it's kind of what Avatar and the Matrix is sort of, sort of depicting, really. Yeah, sure. I think but, that that's kind of, that's, I think that's kind of getting into the realm of entertainment and like being a game because I don't know how it would go VR to be in a movie format you're you're kind of on rails so let me you wouldn't have that much autonomy you know to be able to play out the the narrative of the movie well the the to, to me it would depend on the the software. You know, yeah. it would totally depend on what it's designed to do. Mm. And most certainly there would be experiences in VR that would be totally honed in on entertainment for yep. sure. But then, you know, take the the concept that was portrayed in the Matrix where they could actually download applications mm. in, in real time. Sure. In experiential time. Mm. And it, that that's kind of what I'm thinking that we could actually use the virtual experience to learn and we could do it probably in s- such rapid time that that would sort of be the the application that you're kind of talking about. One of the most far out things I have done in VR so far was um, was this thing, I think it was called Death of an Astronaut. <coughs> and basically it kind of just drops you into the body of an astronaut, but you're in orbit of the earth you're not in a ship or anything like that you're just like and and it's super it's like well, so like you're in a space suit so you've got oxygen and well yeah you, you do but you, you run out of breath after about I think 20 minutes or something <laughs> yeah. yeah you can hear your breathing and you can hear yourself start to ro- run out yeah. and then it just all blacks out and that's the end of it <laughs> yeah yeah it was it was pretty trippy and it was yeah uh, you had you couldn't really see your body but you could you had 360 degrees of vision and whichever way you looked you know you could wow. look down at the earth and you were yeah. like cruising around oh. cruising around the earth or could you, you could look, look back further the, out to space yeah you could look oh. out into the sky you know and you could hear your breathing and it was really like for the first little while it's quite relaxing and then after a while the kind of uh, the it kind of makes it apparent to you the urgency of the situation and it adds this Wow, is this on HTC? But no, no, it was that uh, that was on the PS4 as well. Really? Yeah, there's like there's a thing. Um, uh, it's just like a, a a cinema, and it had lots of different stuff. Like they had uh, lots of basically just like 360 degree cameras yeah. that you could sit in the middle of and you could look around. And one of them was like a MythBusters thing where they explode something, and you're in the middle of an explosion wow. with all this stuff flying past your head and. Huh. Yeah, yeah, just kind of, just lots of really trippy stuff, you know. Yeah, man, that's a, that is amazing. But and yeah, that one yeah. of the death of an astronaut that was definitely cool. a standout. Well, interesting. We we have a PlayStation VR here. Yeah. Um, it's not working at the moment. That's Apparently, cool. there was some kind of software update that is like 
ruined it. What? Yeah, I don't know that. My son's still trying to figure it out. But right. Sony, if you're listening, yeah. um, please contact my <laughs> son because he's you're losing him. You're losing him. Yeah. Um, so I move the mic away from my mouth a bit. Uh, so, so man, like I just I just want to go. I mean, you know that I I'm work professionally as a psychologist. I've always had interest uh, in cognition and and uh, psycho evolution. Yeah. And yeah, I just I I just really like to kind of get this this thought that I was having before clear. So yeah, to me, the application of something like that, mm. uh, being able to put yourself in the shoes of an astronaut floating around in space or um, know to experience what it would be like to let's say be on a battlefield in medieval England or, yeah. uh, you know to really experience that uh, would create a, a, a neuronal um, gee what's what am I trying to say um, uh, a uh, you know a growth of connections in neurons that would evolve us somehow yeah in in the context of consciousness is where i'm sort of starting to lead mm -hmm. lean toward um, and that to me would be uh, you know to talk about that change and that that evolutionary step uh, i think it's it's really important to think about it in juxtaposition with other types of technological events that's happened throughout our story as humans. Right. Yep. Um, so, you know, you, to, to draw some examples, you know, the invention of the telegraph, mm -hmm. when no one could communicate other than through smoke signals or pigeon carriers or uh, carrier pigeons or yeah. whatever it was, and then all of a sudden they could communicate things across vast instance, uh, distances instantly yep. through wire. Mm would have created a, a step in our evolutionary history which which would have transformed our psychological landscape yeah um and then obviously you know radio is another one tv is another one and so and then obviously the launch of the you know computers smartphones google mm. you know the story so the reason that i think it's really important to actually start juxtaposing these kinds of uh, historical events is because I think what we're talking about in terms of VR, and as you said before, the the actual impact of it is going to be so huge that it's really worth us thinking about what sort of things might we want to be paying attention to so that we can get the best out of the right. application of yeah. this, this sort of technological event. Mm. Because we've seen through throughout history that you know when we release these kind of things, you know we are unleashing a beast on the psyche yeah and it because it transforms the psychological landscape of being human uh, obviously there are some implications that come along with it mm. obviously that's needed to grow yeah we can't become resilient and develop coping strategies if everything's cruisy and no um, it'll be like it, time, it's sort of like the internet like the internet would probably be the you know one of the hugest impacts recently um and I think I don't even think people really understand the the full impact of it but when it when it first came out it was kind of like there's always this there's kind of like the new toy uh phase you know what i mean and yeah. that people and that's pe i guess people exploring the boundaries of the technology that they've they've suddenly got 
yeah. hold of you know what i mean and yeah and that can be pretty interesting you know I, I think and i think that vr is definitely going through that at the moment mm. um you know where where it's kind of there's you know it's 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 getting used a lot for for the, it's the same as the internet you know it's kind of a little bit of darkness there it's kind of getting used for pornography and for yeah, yeah snuff yeah and that kind of stuff yeah like real just a little bit creepy um and hopefully once that teething period is sort of over and 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 we start to see people using it to the full extent of its capability uh i, I don't yep. think we're there. I, we're not I, there yet I, I, you know people still like, look at it like so it's a toy and it's a it's a so what game. do you what do you think would like you just said that you know you get through we'll get through that phase mm. um i don't necessarily think that that side of it will, will ever go away but but yeah like how what will it look like like how will we know when we're at that time to really put it into application across when when people start looking at it like it's a tool and not a game yeah you know what i mean like that's the same as the internet went through the same thing yeah you know when it when it was just for it was just for teenagers you know what i mean and then it grew into oh we can use this thing for for business and we can use it for online shopping and Mm -hmm. you know and actually started to to get its true purpose Mm. You know, but up until that point, it was kind of a, it was a toy. It was, you know, it didn't. You know, people were still sending letters, not yeah. using email. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then and that time passed, and and now we're kind of settled into using the internet. You know, I think I'm pretty sure. I, I so so this is this is a really interesting thing I think to explore. Do you feel? I mean, I don't really. <laughs> take a lot of time to research policy mm. but have we developed have we developed new like political structures around how the internet's being policed and managed and supervised and all the rest of it like what do you uh, think is what trying. do you think has contributed to us getting to that point that you just described we've come past well i think it's just um it's it's normalization well uh access and normalization you know so do you think it's an organic process yeah i think so i think so um i think it's just people coming to terms with with it as in um getting getting to know what it is and establishing thresholds yeah how to how to interact with these things to maximize the potential of them and minimize the negative things that impact on them yeah yeah, I mean, I, I I'm an optimist, man, and I I really have faith in nature and how that it will sort itself out yeah. eventually. Um, and yeah, I I agree that it's there's there's a natural process, and and I think it's really important to to really sort of start giving that credit. Yeah. And in that sense, um, I I for one, um, I've never really been one to to get involved with politics and policy making and stuff i just i think it limits you know our capacity to be self-empowered autonomous sovereign beings mm. it reduces our capacity to you know feel like we can apply ourselves in in a sovereign way mm. and um 
at the end of the day, I would like to think that there is a natural law that governs us way more than uh, a maritime law. Oh, for <laughs> or, sure. Or uh, what other other legal systems are in place. Really? But um, I do think that we uh, we do need to find some some better ways to be able to integrate the kind of changes that are going to emerge as a result of the technological revolutions that we're talking about. The maritime, oh, I don't know if you want to go down <laughs> that rabbit hole, but it's kind of like, it's kind of like an overlay, uh, the way I see it. It's like everybody regulates themselves in their life. Do you know what I mean? And then they've got to play... Well, we, we would hope so. Well, we and they do. So. You know what I mean? Whether, whether how they do it and like what structure they use to do it, everyone does it. You know what I mean? One way or another. And then, but then they've got to work within the framework of the of the legal system that we're all mm. under. Well, but I think in most people's life, like day to day living, that's not the defining factor of how they orient themselves. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I I agree with you, bro. However, I have found myself working in public mental health system. Oh, yeah. So what I'm seeing is a result of an acculturation process whereby people have lost their sense of self and lost their capacity to take responsibility to orient themselves right and that's kind of almost what's driving me to have these kind of conversations sure. to to try and extract well what are the lessons that we learned from the the internet and the transition of our psyche as a function of the release of the internet and how might we be able to apply that to the you know the current technological or or any any other evolutionary uh, processes that it, we're undergoing at the moment to, to perhaps try and nurture that sense of self and sovereignty and responsibility because it's pretty evident to me that we've created a, a cultural and social structure which does leave people completely dispossessed. Oh, that's, yeah, the social media, uh, social media structure, um, which is, it, it's becoming, um, it's becoming people, well, definitely some people that I know it's their only social interaction mm. is really through social media mm. and well, I'm totally off social media I, I you I mean I'm, I don't I don't go to Facebook anymore um, I tend to use things like WhatsApp and yeah um, to keep in contact with people but I find that the um, the disconnectedness of social media and the way that people kind of approach each other. I think I've even seen it with people that know each other in real life where they're just abhorrent to each other in through social media in a way that they would never be if they were sat next to each other like we are yeah. right now. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It kind of like the distance it creates a distance between like it's supposed to bring us closer together that's the the selling point right but actually what it's doing is is driving a wedge between everybody this kind of an anonymity uh it's like a veil like a veil mm. like a, a curtain that you can stand behind yeah. and and yeah. and throw abuse through you know what i mean i, I don't 
I hope this is part of like the the um, the new toy thing that uh, and hopefully yeah, um, it hopefully it'll settle down and people will realize that it is a tool and and that we still need to adhere to some kind of well what's your what's your thoughts on respect on that I I, th- I believe that we're undergoing a bit of maturity in this sphere at the moment like I have certainly seen that from the advent of Facebook yeah what was it 12 years ago probably longer now 14 mm. years ago I don't know um, to now I've certainly noticed there's a hell of a lot less of the crap that used to be on there mm. there's some kind of change happening yeah um, I, I mean I, I do I do use it for, for various different utilities yeah um, so yeah that's my personal perspective that I've, I have seen what I would consider an improvement on the way that people are using it Uh but at the end of the day, uh, you, you're totally right. And there's, there's lots of other factors too, like yeah, the veil you're talking about um, is one thing, but you know, the ability to log out when things get too heated, uh, you know, really is allowing people to opt out of responsibility of yep. conflict. Mm. Uh, it's, it, it re- it's resulting in people not being able to navigate differences of opinion, yeah. uh, which is gonna have a lot of long lasting effects. I think effects. It, the one, one of the biggest things I, I, I see is um, just these kind of ongoing arguments and it's not it's not communication based it's not actually no one's trying to to learn anything or it's not really a debate it's just kind of a um, it's a competition to be more right than the other person and what what seems to be the the thematic <coughs> language that's being used uh, amongst podcasters and intellectuals that I, I've been listening to is the dialogue of identity politics right uh, which seems to fuel a lot of that kind of stuff so that the reasons that people are making comments are fueled fundamentally by some aspect of defending who, who, who they, they are, are or yeah. their identity what and and a lot of that is obviously a product of being uh, a member or belonging to, to a certain group and the, the fact that you could even take on the full identity of that group is the very notion of psychological totalitarianism right you, you're you uh, letting go of your sovereignty to take on the identity of the group right and to, to practice that kind of interactivity is to nurture totalitarian ideals sure and and that's what uh, I, I think is is really, I think it's another thing that's really worth doing, and something that I'm definitely going to be doing with with you and any of my guests that come on here is to refine language. Right. And I think it's really helpful to 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 take something that's so frustrating like what we've been noticing on the internet and actually condense it down to well, it's an identity politics game. Right. You, you know, your identity is not any better than my identity. We don't need to argue about it. You know, we can have discussions about things. We can navigate differences of opinion only unless you leave your identity at the door and we explore together. We, we develop a shared space where we can explore together. And I <coughs> have actually started becoming a bit of an advocate for the idea that social media could actually be utilised for that purpose as well. And I don't get to have a lot of discussion about that with people. 
Yeah, I think um, a lot of the identity stuff, it's not, you're not, uh, well, okay, so um, what people are doing is building a, building a, um, a mask for mm. themselves and then and they and they say this is my identity mm. and what they they're not you're, you're talking about through their profiles yeah, yeah. And, and, and well but they do it it's a real life thing as well it's yeah. not all necessarily all just social media yeah, yeah. it's they it's a simulation of it a virtual simulation of it online but it's right happens in real life too but they're not actually um they're not actually being true to themselves in the essence of who they are mm they're building this wall this mask for people to observe and i think um that it's inhibiting people like they 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 come across it's coming across as being very extroverted and like this is who i am but they're actually it's inhibited it's a mask yeah um yeah i think well, it's uh, developing the neurological structures so that, that that world is more preferable to them. Yeah. So in real real life, they don't have that same kind of experience. It's not um, it's the, then it's not creating a positive feedback loop for them. I think and, that's and why this we're is, this so is what much I think depression. was so brilliant about. Uh, you seen um, Ready Player One? No. What is it? Steven Spielberg's latest film. Okay. And it's it's about. A sort of future dystopia where the VR world yeah. has, is so advanced and so developed that people pretty much live there. So there's this depiction of our real world where it's just gone to shit mm. and people have this whole other identity yep. that is online. Mm. Um, that's and like that, a, a whole world that's the Otherland series by Tad Williams book it's series books, yeah. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's yeah. very much along those lines of their people people live in tanks you know and spend their entire life yeah. online oh yeah, not, yeah. not everybody do you know what I mean yeah, but, yeah. The, but there are sections that do it uh, and there's a man there's a brilliant have you ever seen the, the I, I guess you'd call it a, a manga Japanese animated mm. anime Series, um, it's not Bleach, and it's all it's same themes, um, where they they are living inside this online game, and they have this headset on, and their bodies are just like zombied out. Yeah, don't know it. Brilliant. No, it's a, no, it's I, quite I, a brilliant I, series, actually, anime series. Um, so yeah, that 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 motif, yeah. that theme is obviously playing out in popular culture. Yeah. And and that to me is a really worthwhile idea to to put out there to to you know warn people of the dangers. This is the kind of thing I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, people very well could we're going to see prefer that world. We're going to see it. We're going to see like uh, I think within the next sort of 10 10 to 20 years we're going to see like neurocannula and we're going to see What's people that? like a jack oh, into yeah, your head yes, and yes. People well, we're going to see... Man, Elon Musk is talking about something that he's developed where it doesn't actually need to be implanted now. 
think oh, it's God. actually a wearable technology yeah. that can jack into your neurological system. Well, there you go. You know, I think ne- neural net. I think he calls it. Well, yeah. yeah well, some, you know, something like that. Yeah, we're definitely going to see fallout from that kind of thing. You know, we, we there will definitely be people that live online twenty four seven, and you know, we're going to see. Do you think all we could, sorts of stuff? Do you think we could? map that world over this one and kind of live duly, effectively? Once the new toy thing wears off. Yeah, yeah, I, I get that. Thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think... But at, the, but at the same time, you know, like anything, there's always going to be an aspect of um, people overusing it or abusing yeah. it. Yep. Uh you know, but that's just that's just human nature, mm. you know, because it is intoxicating. You well, know, you can put yourself in the in a whole new world. Yeah, you man. Know, I mean, that's that is immediately, quite, immediately much, quite a lot better than the one you're in already. <laughs> and and immediately, man, that that brings up to me um, the thought of altered states of consciousness in general. Yeah, and how. Uh, different cultures have, have used certain substances for millennia to yeah. achieve a very similar kind of state. Mm. Um, the fact that that we've created this one uh, is, the, I think, the main motif that we kind of need to be aware of. It's uh, even though, you know, fundamentally, I don't personally think that we actually have anything to worry about in terms of the whole AI debate. Um, I believe that because what we've created, this internet and whole virtual reality and the at the advent of artificial intelligence, mm. has been created by us and that we've been created by nature, the same fundamental laws of the universe will be applied to that, that system so, and somehow probably go through a very similar phase that you're talking about. Um, and to, to contextualise this that bit, that bit further... You know, I, I'm venturing now into a discussion about about AI and the implications of it, and that common theme that once computers start becoming uh, self-conscious um, or um, sentient creatures, uh, that it will all be over. And there's just something in me that just feels that no, it won't. Just, it's not going to all be over. It's a bit fatalistic, but yeah, I think it's, yeah. it's definitely going to change everything mm. dramatically. So, no. so this to- this toy phase, I love this idea, man, because I think this is where this um, conversation sort of is the, the most updated, where we're talking about AI, really, right? Um, and that, to me, I think is going to be the most important phase of our technological evolution to be mindful and be aware and pay attention. Mm. Um, and I don't know whether that's because of popular culture, you know, Terminators and... Uh, yeah, Lawnmower yeah. Man. All that yeah, kind of all stuff. that sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know whether it's because I've been programmed um, with, with that sort of thinking, but, you know, I've certainly had many conversations with people about AI that all at, do end in fatalistic discussions of right. doom and gloom and the robots taking over the planet. Yeah. And there are, there are certainly some dialogues out there that are... You know they're they're very um, fear fear based, and I think it's worth sort of diminishing them and and sure. start you know putting out some ideas that you know yeah I don't know whether it's going to be all that bad. Well, I think it's smart to be scared of it. 
I, yeah, I mean, I, because so AI, you know, it could be. I think in its in its in its it's in its best format, it's like extremely specialized. It's like insect mind, mm. you know, where it's got a it's got a, a a task that it needs to achieve, and it's that's its job, and that's what it does, you know, and it can it can. Uh, it can ease our load. It can do a lot of work for us, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, in its worst format, it's something that um, we don't have control of. It, well, it's something that. Sorry, to, sorry, no, to, well, sorry to plant suggestions in your head. No, no, no. <laughs> so it's um, you know the singularity, uh, this thing that can reproduce itself and can um you know basically has an open mind to be able to absorb whatever whatever information it wants uh i don't know i think there's quite a few instances now of 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 um of ai projects having to be shut down because of them basically getting too far ahead and the scientists really behind it losing touch so how much do you know about this man like well only what i've looked into you know what i mean and which is not heaps but like i know that they they set up two uh, two i think it was some uh specifics evade me but i think it was some it might have been a crn or some lab laboratory i'm pretty sure it was in switzerland set Mm. up two computers to talk to each other mm-hmm. two artificial intelligences and after quite a short amount of time they realized that they couldn't understand what they were saying anymore and these two ais had worked out their own language and were right. you know so they turned it off because so they, they were so the the ais were communicating to each other to in each a way other in a that language was beyond the understanding yep. of the scientists that created right. them yeah so that that loss of control yeah creates that fear that makes them shut it down yeah they don't know what they're doing you know so they just turned it off and i think that's probably the biggest safeguard that we've got with the whole thing is the off button Mm. you know but Mm. if that was ever to be like if something like that happened and it got and so this this is this is away from the off button this this is you know where i wanted to take this conversation right and yeah that that is i guess the big the big debate like what what would happen if the off button doesn't get pushed mm. and i think that there seems to be a lot of discussion happening around the world about about yeah who's going to do it first who's yep. not going to push the off button and, and see what happens mm. and this is to go back to what i was saying before where i i personally i'm an optimist man i i want things to be okay and i just i feel that this the new language that would have been created in the context of the the, the event that you just discussed, mm. I believe that the, the, there's two machines, okay, yep, they would have developed their own language and yep, it would have been out of the scope of the understanding of the scientists that created them. However, whatever those computers would have been talking about, to me, would have been about how to become more efficient and how to um, do more to be able to help you know their environments that they're serving uh, to me that is inherent in the fact that we created them right we are nature yeah and the only way that we can code is naturalistic yeah and so therefore my 
my opinion about it is that I don't think that those two different machines were starting to plot of how to take. Oh it no, the probably world. not. But I mean, we don't. We got this no is totally way of knowing. It's totally speculative. It's totally yeah, yeah totally speculative. They might have been, opinion, but, but more than likely not. You know, the, who knows what the hell two computers are going to talk about? You yeah, know? yeah. Well, it's, uh, there's well, it's the other exciting one. Stuff, man. They it's made exciting. that. They made that woman. Um, it was like a robot head with an AI, mm. and it had access to the internet and it basically sifted through social media to get its information about its own view of the world and they had to turn that one off because after a little while it started talking about destruction of humans is that right yeah okay wow yeah uh yeah i don't know you'd have to google it yeah Uh, i'm fascinated by this man and this is i mean this is the kind of thing that challenges me at my core because i'm an optimist yeah uh, and I, yeah, I haven't ever read any articles or anything about that. Yeah, it's uh, fascinating and it's super. It's like really interesting. You know, I don't, I don't think that the, that it's a doomsday thing or whatever. I think that we're going to have to develop um, a really good off button if we're going to go down the um, <laughs> go down the AI road. You know, like. Um, it's you know Asimov, yeah. and he's got his three laws of yeah the, the laws of robotics. Asimov. Yeah, or Isaac I, Asimov. I don't I don't know the laws. No. Okay, it's I've never um, studied it. Oh, it's been so long since I. You know the movie I Robot. Yeah. Well, that's based on an Isaac Asimov novel about the laws of robotics. And, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, they're basically like. It's. Oh, I can't remember them off the off the top, but the, there's a there's three r- three laws and a yeah. Let's Google it because um, I'm I'm struggling to remember exactly what they are. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. But basically, it's with, they're not allowed. They they they're, they're hardwired to not be able to harm humans. You know, they must protect them. So that that is actually in their coding. In their coding, it's hardwired. They can't change it, um, but it leads to. Um, it leads to uh, um, okay. I, th- on, I think I've got him here. It. How many laws are there? Do you know? I think it was three or four. Three, three laws three of robotics. Laws. Yeah, yeah. Three laws of three laws. Uh, a robot may not injure a human being, or through inaction, allow a human being to come to harm. That's the ones. Yep. Second, a robot must obey the orders given it by human beings except where such laws would conflict with the first law. Right. Um, where's the third law? Okay, this is, this is read off a, a quick Google result. Yeah, yeah. But it doesn't... Third law, a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. Right. Is kind of all-encompassing. So that's kind of based off laws of thermodynamics in, in a fundamental sense. Yeah, I guess so. Um, from memory, in the in the book, though, it... Um, Have you read the book? Yeah, a long time ago. Um, and, and, the, and the movie I, Rob- I Robot is, is very, very vaguely based around it. it, it yeah. The actual, the book by Isaac Asimov is is 
is like a series of short stories about mm-hmm. about the life of a, of, di- of a bunch of different robots. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, they've all got fairly simple tasks to. We we can't achieve. we can't have this discussion without bringing up Black Mirror. Uh, which one? You've seen them? Uh, I've seen quite a few of them. I wouldn't wouldn't say I've seen them all. Yeah, yeah. My uh, my screen time, especially for being able to watch anything that's uh, you know a bit scary, is a bit is pretty limited because of With um, children. <laughs> children. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. I, I personally, I I'm, think it's a fascinating series. Yeah, I it's think amazing. The, the writing in it is incredible. Yeah. I think the overall ideas behind it are really valuable uh, explorations of of what we're talking about. I think it's the ultimate critique of what we're kind of talking about. Um, I mean, these these Asimov laws um, they they seem and sound and correct me if I've taken them wrong. Um, they seem like they're an ideal set of laws which need to be. Uh, intended mm. by the programmer right otherwise <laughs> yeah. all hell could break so it's like That's if right. we don't install these laws into the algorithms yeah and then something bad could happen that's kind of what i'm getting out of it yeah is that, yeah yeah and that to me is what black mirror is depicting throughout the whole series mm. I, I haven't really delved into reading about the intention of the creators of black mirror or anything like that but to me the motif that runs through it is what would happen to technology if asimov's laws were not programmed into the algorithms sure. yeah, that to me that. Is, is you know i mean it, but the i mean the writing is so fantastic in terms of the the different layers of of society and culture that it explores that application yeah i think is incredible like from mm. social media through to robotics through to um, neural and consciousness um, interactions with technology um it, it just it explores a lot of themes yeah and, and i think it's yeah it's really worth worth looking at um but at the end of the day yeah i i i, w- I would love to see it I, man i'd there's no other way we're going to know. I'd love no, to see what would well, happen. Well, we're going to go there. If we don't push the off button. Oh, yeah. Because well. I, I do have this genuine feeling, man, of that we, we have created these things. So even at the very notion of not programming the laws into the algorithm, mm. that the, the very nature of the fact we created them would maybe inherently manifest those laws I, I, I don't know it's a fascinating area to think about yeah I don't know I'm, I, I'm grateful to have this conversation yeah it's, it's, I think you know I think a machine would look at us as being horribly inefficient like I, I, I who knows to be honest mm. but I, I don't I think that like then you know well, we've got a whole lot a whole lot of phases that we've got to go through before we get to any kind of doomsday AI yeah totally totally. and and that what you just said like recalls to me I can't remember the names of all the different Black Mirror episodes but um, that that one I don't know if you saw that was about how uh, there was a couple and the husband died at the beginning of it Mm. and then the episode was about how the the 
wife handled the death of her partner uh, after a grieving little while she received this online ad for being able to um oh, reconnect with her partner and then yeah, eventually yeah well it's different than cloning like it was all based on digital data all right so so at the beginning um she got him she got this saw this ad for you know being able to reconnect with your loved ones through chat like online chat all you got to do is uh, give us access to all their social social media and then you'll be able to chat to them on text like yeah. they were still alive so she does that mm. and then the next one is upload some voice data and then you can speak to your lo- deceased loved one and then it's upload video and then you can actually do a Skype call with your loved ones yep, yep. and then the ultimate one is upload everything you've got and then we'll send you uh a rubber human, yeah, rubber human with yeah. a, with your your deceased partner inside of it, yeah. And what happened? So you've seen this one, you remember? Yeah, this one? I've seen it. And and so what happens at the end? To me, what that episode is trying to depict is how the AI eventually realizes that even though humans uh, are not efficient, like you pointed out, we have this thing that is love or the transcendence of just basic um, matter logic mm. and that that quality that I that, uh, that the AI identified in us is worth like it's worth saving it's worth understanding it's worth not killing off mm. and yeah that that I mean it always comes back down to this optimistic point of view it's very romantic yeah yeah but no, to to me, I I believe that there is something that's transcendent of matter that you know we have to keep in sight. Sure. You know, and and this is um, I think a really really important discussion to have at this time of of our story. Yeah. Because all of the institutions that we have developed to be able to understand human spirituality and the transcendent um, are no longer effective. No. And we really do need to revivify uh, the the cultural processes to to really start remembering that yeah. we are more than matter, and uh, machines will only ever be more than will only ever be matter, right? In this dimension, so, I mean, how would a how would a machine mind see or identify something like love or spirituality or anything like that? Or would it just see it as kind of like irrational behaviour? Well. This is the big question. Yeah. This is the mystery, man. And I, I certainly don't have any answer for it. No, we're going to have to find out. And it's. Ha- however, I, I do think that we need to acknowledge in this, this discussion that the, the processes of the algorithms and the programming that we're talking about here are already unleashed they're they're in the algorithms of social media and all that online now like it's happening that is ai well yeah yeah and i i would imagine that out of that there would be something that i don't maybe it's the opposite of the singularity you know like as some kind of um there's some kind of X factor that it computes through a computational process that it can't work out. So well, therefore it goes, well, 
these creatures that are around me in my environment, they are the X factor. So I need to keep them around. Otherwise, I'm only ever going to be imprisoned within this matter. Right. I, I mean, it's fantastic thoughts to explore, man. Yeah. I'm so grateful to be going down this path. Like, um, the, what's his name? Is it Spielberg? No, it's not Spielberg. It's uh, um, the guy who wrote Jurassic Park. What's his name? Michael Crichton. Michael Crichton wrote a book called Prey, I believe. Mm-hmm. And it's about AI, but it's about nano yeah, machines yeah. that uh, can repro- they can replicate, they can self-replicate. Mm-hmm. Um, which is one of the earliest uh, concerns about AI that I can remember was, have you heard of Grey Goo? No. Okay, so Grey Goo is, um, the Grey Goo theory is that it is an artificial intelligence that can self-replicate using the matter of around it. Mm-hmm. So it, it deconstructs stuff to make more of itself. Mm-hmm. All right, And basically it gets out of control and it just consumes everything and mm-hmm. everything turns into this grey goo of, mm-hmm. uh, of, of this intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty, pretty wild. This is something yeah. I, I remember hearing about this in the 90s. Mm-hmm. You know, it's been around for a while now. What did you say it was called? Grey goo. Well, but it was the book from oh, Michael the book, Crichton. The book is... is th- this is where the concept came no, no, from. No, no, oh, no. Okay. It actually, I don't think Prey really goes into... into yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. So this is, this is more of a theoretical framework. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, Prey Prey kind of deals with AI that gets out of control and um, it doesn't get to the point of grey goo. I think it does talk about the grey goo theory in the book. Mm-hmm. But it was, it got that theory from somewhere else. Yeah. Down the line. Well, man, I, I'm having flashbacks of uh, old, older, let's, well, that's probably not older, but organic similarities in movies like The Blob. Yeah. You know, where it consumes everything. Yeah. You know, like the concept of um, this entity that can consume all, yeah. all of, of our reality. So that, that sort of AI, that's not an AI with like an, with an extreme consciousness. That's just an AI with a very simple job. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's only task is to use materials to make more of itself. That's all it knows. So, you know? so the mere fact that that is its primary function. Yeah. Would There's no reasoning with it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's yeah. an intelligence, but it's low-level intelligence. Probably more scary than like something that is, you know, omniscient. Yeah. So, so the the real fear with something like that is that it will complete its purpose until there is no more matter to reproduce anymore. Right. And that would be the end of us. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah. It would be pretty hard to contain. You know, if, if something like that happened, it would be extremely hard for it to, to contain it. You know what I mean? If someone built something like that and it got out of hand, I don't know if anything like that has been built. Mm. I have no idea. But yeah, it's an interesting one. Yeah, man. Yeah, look, yeah, I, this, is a, this is a really uh, interesting rabbit hole. And yeah. Yeah, I, I haven't had the, the opportunity to, to really 
discussed this rationally and to this level before so um there's there's definitely an end of the line for me in terms of uh like resolving the complexes in my mind <laughs> about this I, we, we don't know it's good this to be is, optimistic about it yeah like, look like i think I my before, optimism I think we just need to have a really big off button you know and we need to keep that in sight yeah but you know with what you're saying like the example that you just used you know like that to me is uh rendering the off button obsolete like yeah but there's no real there's no good reason to there's no good reason to make something like that Mm. But that's you know like, but mean? that I guess is the real argument, isn't it? Like yeah. who's going to do it first yeah, yeah, to someone, see? Yeah, and that's the the I think the real fear. And I mean, there there is certainly discussions happening online at the moment where the fear is extremely real and it's creating a lot of anxiety for sure. certain sections of of consciousness. But um, yeah, well, we don't know. But what a fantastic tangent, man! Yeah. To go to go from <laughs> uh, parties <laughs> to go down that that rabbit hole that was really cool uh, so you wanted you wanted it where did we get to where did we get to with the can we didn't get that far with it hey we talked about dreamscape for a minute there yeah yeah i mean this i mean this is what this this platform is about bro like just exploring things yeah. that we don't we don't get the chance to when we get to see each other in a at a party environment or in a festival mm. now you're always running around <laughs> doing something i'm always running around doing something yeah and we don't get to do this so um yeah i'm developing my skills of conversational sherping and uh. we originally we brought up um i mean this all stemmed from your introduction and talking about how we met each other yeah which is a fantastic way to start a good conversation man you know it's like why do we know each other yeah there's some purpose in it that we haven't really been able to sit down and explore much and this is what we're doing we're exploring why why we're connected and why we're in each other's lives and these kind of conversations are a manifestation of the utility of our relationship so we were originally discussing yeah how, how we met each other and, mm. and parties and 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 where we actually stopped and to have a have a, a break and to so i could make you your coffee was audiogasm was brought up right and uh that i, th I think the theme that we were sort of uh leaning into to explore was uh the 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 festival circuit and scene and uh, I'm certainly a, a critical analyzer of uh, these events and experiences that you and I have shared um, in, in the past. And I mean, you and I have talked about them to varying different degrees. And, but I, I really feel that you've been such a mainstay of, uh, of transformational events um, in, in Australia and particularly in far northern Queensland, and I think that you're you're positioned perfectly to be able to sort of unpack it and talk about like why why we do what we do, why why uh, we've we've gone to the effort, why we struggle to uh, continue to get better at doing them, mm. uh, what are we, what are we you know doing it for, and where where is it heading? I think is all uh, quite intricately woven into what we're talking about with technology and yep. um, the development of social structures mm. and developing better language. Yep. Um, that to me is what attracted me right back as I hopefully uh, did clearly say when 
I first got involved with Versus and I did see it as the first ever transformational event that I was part of. To me, it was about the language. It was about being able to sit around uh, with people and you know, cut out things for decor and, and for hours and discuss what was going on on the planet. Like you know, at the yeah. time, most of the, the themes and the motifs were things like climate change or, um, or male oppression or whatever you know was the 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 hot topics at the time um but it was really attractive to me to be um coming together yeah absolutely with community yeah which is which is the same thing that attracted me to it back in the back in the day was for it it being a forum basically for for expression and for um for dialogue about stuff that you know I guess you, you wouldn't necessarily usually talk about... So, so for you, historically, Jared, was that, that dialogue and those discussions that you were having, were they happening as a process of organising events, sitting around with mates, like you know, designing the events? Mm. Um, was it yeah, at well, the actual event itself? Uh, more at the event, but, I mean, obviously, you know, when you get... You get a bu- you get a bun- bunch of like-minded people um, together, and especially the in event um, organisation, the event, the festival scene seems to attract a certain kind of mentality. Mm. You know what I mean? It's um, not ne- it's uh, non-conventional. You know, so you get people that are non-conventional thinkers and yeah. Yeah, and so that o- kind of opens the door for non-conventional conversations. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so, so this this is what I certainly saw when I first sort of started attending. Uh, but yeah, for me, it was more so the the process of organising and and developing um, a social scene. Mm. But at the event itself, I always found that. You know, dancing all night long, uh, in inducing trance through dance, uh, being the main sort of focal point, particularly back in the day. Yeah, uh, there wasn't. There, uh, there was definitely probably. The, the, definitely probably. There was, <laughs> there was definitely the experience of you know leaving leaving the event, leaving the party. Um, with a crew of people and you know going and watch the sunrise or, or whatever and yep. those would always end up in really philosophical and meaningful yeah, discussion absolutely. most yep. definitely but what what I I, I really uh, found paradigm smashing was when we uh, all came together and put on Antion Gaia oh yeah where the whole focus of the actual gathering was to have dialogue right and that, to me, was uh, an extremely important experience for me personally because it, it was about installing uh, that uh, platform of, of having discussions into the event itself. I mean, it, it was the first one that I'd been to where that was the primary focus. I yep. mean, I certainly attempted to do that with my regroup events that you were part of. We, you know, we did attempt to have um, some some people doing lectures and stuff there. It was a university environment where we did that event. Yeah. So it was conducive to that kind of thing. But yeah, Entian guy was a game changer for me. It was, um, yeah, it was a very important 
um, thing that had to happen um, to put it in context for people. Yeah, let's listeners. share with um, our listeners what. So in 2012, we had the Solar Eclipse Festival in Cairns, um, which drew people from all over the planet, mm. including um, a lot of big thinkers, big talkers, mm. um, big egos, big egos, <laughs> uh, and, amazing creatives. Uh, so I with with my dear friend was we had been involved with um with ega which is um entheogenesis australis down around melbourne um which is basically a symposium as a kind of conference about well it's about uh altered states of mind and psychedelic plants and um Healing practices, healing practices, and medicinal herbs, and um, alternative medicines, and um, ancient medicines, uh, things that don't generally get spoken about in kind of an academic format in public. Mm-hmm. Um, and EGA, I'm, I'm still a part, I'm still involved with EGA. Um, absolutely love it. Uh, yeah. It's just an amazing experience. Um, yeah, have you been to one? You haven't no, been to one. No. You should come down for the next one, man. It definitely, definitely, you would it'd blow your mind. Yeah, yeah. It, it, like it'd be like Entheon Gaia was 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 kind of a baby version of that, and and we had some amazing talent that we could draw from mm. to do that event. Like it, it couldn't really be repeated here. It was kind of a time and a place thing. Yeah, it was magical. Yeah, um, but it it did take that that conference format and um and just basically open dialogue um between people who are incredibly academic and um and knowledgeable about these subjects Mm. and give them an open forum with people who aren't you know with the audience and um yeah it was really it was a magical experience excellent event Let's just um, let's drop a few names for, for people just to give a bit of context. So we're talking Dennis McKenna. Dennis McKenna, yeah. Um, Zam. Yeah. Um, who else? Raythorpe. Raythorpe uh, was there. Um, uh, God, so long ago. Uh, um, yeah, lots I'm, of people. I'm I mean, I'm in trouble remembering, but but yeah, they were probably some of the the key yeah, key um, people. Um, but the the amount of of great thinkers that those names drew yeah uh, alone compounded the effectiveness of the event for yeah. sure yeah uh, and yeah you know like I, i'll forever be super grateful that i i got the opportunity to present i uh, couldn't have done it without you mate no man it was an incredible experience it was an incredible experience and um it really it really did open my eyes to what i i believe could be the potential of what we could create together at these kinds of of gatherings Mm. Um, and it's why i I really uh, continue to participate really i've i've certainly um, stopped going to anything that doesn't include that kind of uh, opportunity yeah i think to me now it's just that's the cornerstone of gathering for me yeah is that dialogue i mean yeah i love i've always loved music music is a language of of my soul and i'll always have a dance um 
yeah, but the the dialogue is why I go. Yeah, it, it um, it's certainly very important. I think it, you know, I I kind of sort of come from a background of like you know we create these events, um, with the backbone of of really excellent music and giving people a kind of a place to express themselves freely without any judgment or whatever in a, in a, in a safe place to experiment etc uh, etc et um, but the that dialogue I think you know especially with festivals like Earth Frequency you're starting to see that kind of thing incorporated into kind of the more usual format of a festival which is your music and party party um, and they're trying to well, not trying. They're they're including um, new workshops and mm. and um, panels, yeah, totally. discussions. You know, yeah. and that's and very that, important. You know, and that's that is Earth Frequency is the the one festival that I go out of my way to go to because of that. Yeah. So therefore, I, I can attend a festival like that. Yeah. And I don't have to be intoxicated to get so much out of it. Yeah. I can spend the whole time there. I, you know, for, for me, it's now actually become. I, I often I don't really get a chance to go to the talks and the workshops and the presentations because I'm so privileged that I, I have an amazing network that I find myself ending up having personal conversations with the presenters. So I spend most of my festival sitting around <laughs> with some of the artists and the yeah. people that are there presenting, and we just find each other and we end up talking, and it's. Um, it's certainly one thing that's inspired me to do a podcast is being able to have the opportunity to have recorded conversations in a, in a festival environment. Mm. I, uh, I would really love to, to be able to try and work out something so that I can do that when I'm there next time. But yeah, it is what for me has kept me going to, to events, to be honest. Like if, it, if, to, if I didn't find that, which for me, as I'm saying, was really highlighted with Anthea and Gaia event that mm. it can be done yeah. and how much I personally resonated with it. And I, I possibly don't know if I would have been able to sustain my interest in it if it was just the, the music and intoxication and, and all the rest of it. So even when, even, when, even when parties and festivals were kind of just based around that, where that kind of dialogue would happen would be in conversations that would sort of organically happen on like either side of the dance floor or back at camp mm -hmm. you know i think and that i think that the essence of that sort of developed into more of more inclusive like uh bringing it um as more of a a feature of the event do you yeah, know what I mean yeah, yeah. And, and building it into the structure and of the building event, into so. the structure of the event well see I believe that this has been a, a natural thing that is unfurled and it's a necessity mm. because and this is something that I'm really eager to discuss with you mm -hmm. but at the same time I don't want to offend anybody or make anyone um, feel bad right but I I personally I don't get to have that experience 
anymore, man. Well, I, I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure. I don't I don't take substances at yeah, yeah. parties and festivals mm. anymore. So I, I I partly think that that could be it, but I don't find myself having those sort of conversations uh, with people back at camp or I, I'm not really having them on on side of the dance floor anymore like I used to. Mm. Um, however, at somewhere like Earth Frequency Festival, mm. I can. I, I'd spend the whole time that I'm there having discussions with people all around the site, yeah. all over the place. Mm. Um, obviously, most more than likely away from the dance floor so we can bloody hear ourselves. Yeah, yeah, of course. Hear each other. So, yeah, I, I'm really interested in knowing what your experience has been like that and has there been a decline in the quality and the meaning of the conversations that emerge on the sides of the dance floor back at camp for you? Well, I mean, for a, for a long time now, well, particularly with Earth Frequency, um, I didn't really get to experience any of that kind of behaviour with Earth Frequency. For I was site manager for Earth Frequency for for seven years, so, so actually being able to unwind and yeah, so that's a product of your the role that you play, yeah, yeah. how busy you get mm. on site, right? Yeah. Um, at the you know when all was said and done and you know usually at the at the uh the crew party at the at the kind of the end of the festival you know then yeah we all unwind and you know definitely have some amazing conversations of you know there's some really great minds that sort of revolve around those that festival scene you know well it's funny you bring that up because i think that's another thing that i've reflected on as well that see my focus at the moment is on, on, in other areas yep. so i often don't stay till the end anymore no, of I'm, I'm not able to, to to have the capacity to be part of the crew in that that way yeah and i think that's another reason why I, I don't experience it and then obviously you know what we're talking about is a milieu it's a culture mm. and if you if you're not there in a consistent basis and um, you kind of fall out of that milieu you know that that group mm. and then obviously you know young youngsters grow up and new people start coming into that little inner circle yeah and then they don't know you because you've been out of it for a few years mm. and so there's a lot of a lot of dynamics at play i think sure. but that, but that's actually something that i'm pretty keen to talk about man that effect of having new people come in and i i, I think that that there are there are always multiple things going on right. in, in an environment like a gathering and, and a transformational event where you do have this process almost where um, when you're part of that inner circle of an, an event you kind of go through uh, like a sifting process and all the people that you know that can't really kind of hold on to the, the ride yeah. kind of they fall away and then yeah. you end up with this really quality at the at the bottom of it yeah um, and that's where i'd imagine incredible dialogue would would happen sure um and so what what i've noticed having sort of stepped out of that scene for a while particularly in terms of me being part of the the inner inner circle and is yeah you get this effect where you get these new people that come into it and 
new people always have a, a learning process to go through when, when it comes to what we're talking about. Mm. And I think that new people um, just by default would always have ego that they bring to it. And I've certainly experienced in the last little while where I've turned up to, to some events and um, had this sort of vibe of like, who the fuck are you, dude? Like, you know, and, and they... And they sometimes it feels like they're watching me go up and interact with you know key players that they've put on a big pedestal and all that and they're watching me and observing me because I've got those historic relationships yeah you know all the all the core crew are always happy to see me and they always make me feel welcome but then there's these these sort of new ones that don't know how to put me into yeah. the scene and mm -hmm. what and they don't where understand where I fit into it yeah, yeah. and I, I find it very toxic that's why i'm trying to describe it i think that i would really really love to see um a more conscious effort from some of the the sort of more older people in the scene to sort yeah. of start trying to explain some of these dynamics to some of the young people yeah i think um, I, I i really think like there's definitely a um there's kind of a syntax like a uh, a jargon that is learned through like we, you know, every pretty much anyone that works in festivals or works, especially in the higher levels, usually gotten there because they started out volunteering. Yeah, you know what I mean. And they did a good job. They got, you know, maybe noticed. Maybe they, uh, they, they. You could. There's kind of like a rank, you know. Yeah. And you come up through it. Yeah. Um. And you natural look hierarchy. after departments. You know, and, and a natural hierarchy, exactly that. Mm. Um, and you're not really going to get into... Like, you're not going to have that jargon. You're not going to have the the kind of... If you're a new person, mm. you know what I mean? You won't have that kind of... understanding of the way that the whole the, the structure of w works so mm -hmm. um so you, you don't understand the, the nuances the nuances of the interactive style right between the milieu you know and and yeah. and you know a bit, at the at a running level of a festival there's a there's a whole world of 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 shit talking and and it's kind of a coping mechanism it's just, it's like a stress relief mm -hmm. kind of way of looking at things and communicating that is from a, if you were on the outside looking in it would be really hard to mm -hmm. kind of understand what the hell is going on mm -hmm. uh, it's a, it's it's a real jargon mm. um and it's amazing. Like, I kind of like, it's very hard to explain, actually. I think you're doing a good job. I, I relate to what you're saying. I mean, yeah. I've, I've seen, literally, observed you like, speaking in this jargon to people. And, yeah. Um, and been on the outer of it. Yeah. And just gone, I know that they're just talking their, their jargon. Yeah. And to, talk, to, to share with me in this context now how it is a coping strategy. 
I think is really important. Yeah. Um, because I not really looked at it like that, but I have certainly probably been on the inner circle and experienced what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've done we've done gigs together, so yeah. I, I know that there are times when. Um, shit's going bad and yeah you're you're having a hard time and you've got to cope somehow yeah and the easiest way to cope is just to have a laugh at things really yeah yep. you know yeah um it's it, otherwise things get a little bit too serious and 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 um uh, and and people get uh weighed down by the by the impact of it and can yeah. get it doesn't help anybody. Yep, yep. You know what I mean? For people to get really wound up in it. So you kind of got to release that somehow. I think that... Yeah. That so, so what... This is a full critique of the culture, man, right? Yeah. So what I've observed is you, you kind of... You get this... This language going. That, that it's coping strategy. And, you know, to, I guess, make it fairly explicit to listeners... It, it might be that in the heat of a moment, some random word comes out, yeah, and everyone knows that that's an index of losing your shit, yeah, <laughs> and then it becomes hilarious enough to laugh at it, yeah. So in that moment, everybody that's present there has been exposed to this experience, so that the the, the word has some kind of humorous context to it now, right. So then that group of people start using that term and uh, it comes out at after parties or yeah. next events or whatever. And then it becomes a cultural product right. of that group. Mm. And so what you get is the, like you get these youngsters coming through who weren't present there, yeah. but who pick up on the language. Yeah. And then they might use that language to simulate their position within that that crew mm. and it then becomes this sort of membership in into it right. in to in their head like to to some degree so sure. um and and what i i really see and this is a real psychological analysis of of the situation is that that kind of acculturation process is kind of akin to adopting a a bit of a mask or a veil right these young people are picking up on this language and you know it, hey man if it makes them feel like a, you know the, a sense of belonging that's fantastic yeah however here's where it becomes uh, to the detriment of good interactive dynamics so someone like me i've experienced coming into a social event and having some of those youngsters that are using that language use that language to me right without the context of the original group that used it right and then used that in in a identity politics kind of fashion uh, to kind of make me feel like oh you don't know what I'm talking about oh uh, you're not part of you're not part of the crew then obviously are you yeah, yeah. and actually make me feel disenfranchised from you know their what they're doing and the, the ultimately that is the collective which is ultimately the event right you know and, and I believe that uh, I'm talking about a psychological phenomena mm. that I personally 
would would love to see a little bit more uh, active resolution with. Sure. And for me personally, I, I've certainly achieved this with some let's let's sit down, young fella. Like let's get to know each other. Like right. You'll find like I don't know what you you know, but but to be able to ultimately be able to say to to somebody who might do that in that context what does that word mean yeah and not be laughed at right that would be an ultimate outcome to me sure and it would be a beautiful platform to try and teach honor and respect yeah. to people and um, just just better interactive dynamics you know and you know at the end of the day it's an interesting dynamic because at the same time like when you confront somebody like this in this context that I'm talking about, it's confronting to them. Yeah, and they actually kind of get called out. That's yeah. like, do you know? Do you, you know? So they I've might been know. I've been in situations where yeah, they they don't know, yeah. but they're using the word. But yeah. I actually know the context of the word. Yeah, and actually gone. Ah, oh, so you know, you know this person and that person, like you know, and they go, nah. One of them um, was when um it was one of original it was pretty original one that you and and jekyll and a bunch of crew used to use um oh nah, go go through some of them um oh man <laughs> yeah it was it was a word it was like deutz or something like that oh, deutz yeah was, i mean like that's it was can... something like it was you know one of those kind of words that came yeah. up and yeah it was like someone used it and i was like like man, like I know perfectly well that like the, the crew that that came from, but it actually spread out, and more people actually started using it because yeah. the cool crew were using it. Right. And then somebody came into my shop once and used it, and I was like, oh, you, so you know, do you know Jekyll and Mundy? And, and I'm like, nah. <laughs> what are you talking about? I, I mean, and and then, and then you know when it was like, when I sort of brought up, well, where did you get that word from? Like where did that term come from and they just talk about it like it's like a meme that they saw online yeah yeah and it's like well do you actually know that that comes from a crew that's local here and yeah like they're an event crew and yeah, i wonder what it was you don't remember <sighs> no you know quite a lot of, well it's different from so all of that stuff that came out of like the no like no qualms and no, there was yeah which so, so that's a record label going on there so it's a collective of musicians that came together here in north queensland for those who don't know uh, no qualms was is the record label um that, that monday is you're a founding member of yeah um it's all pretty scattered at the moment I mean, mm. bloody jekyll's disappeared off to melbourne somewhere and reese is mm. down in uh I don't know, harvey bay harvey bay no um, not, not Byron? No, he's not in Byron. He's don't know, in... actually. Give us a call, Je- <laughs> Reese. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we don't know where you are, but, man. <laughs> where are you, Reese? <laughs> right, no. um, I think like that sort of more lingo is different to is different to the to the jargon that I'm talking the about. Coping strategy jargon. Yeah, from the from yeah. like from events and okay. Um, you know, like. It's sort of that we're all really good friends, and so we mm-hmm. we had kind of, you know, yeah, a lingo like a just nonsense, really. Um, I think, yeah, it's definitely different to the kind of to the to like event management jargon okay. that I'm talking about. Yeah, you know. So so 
the distinction being just colloquial banter amongst friends yeah. versus literal coping strategies in the yeah. height of and, and things events. That, that, that definitely do have a, um, a, like a meaning in it and, a, um, and have come out of situations that have arisen in a, fe- in a festival context. You know, and because you're can dealing you, with... Can you give us some examples, mate? Um, if that's okay. Hang on, I'm going to stop this banging door. Yeah. But yeah, if you can think of some examples. Even you know, to the degree where you know, we've got the opportunity here for you to describe the context of it if you want. Um, do you know what I... I I'm struggling to think. Of <laughs> They're that head. implicit. They're so. Yeah, it's, they're so it's, and it varies, and it varies from event to event, and it's stuff that comes out. Yeah, it's not. It's really hard to explain, actually. I, I, I um, so to guess, would it be, say, in the heat of some really stressful experience, someone mumbles some Freudian slip? Nah. Uh, okay. So, well, at, like at Earth Frequency, we've got. Um, like Code Paisley, which is Code Paisley is somebody who's basically taken too much substance and and um, is tripping right. They're not really a harm to themselves or to anyone else, but they are lost. You know, they don't know what's going on. They mm-hmm. need assistance because they're high as fuck. Yeah. They're going uh, through an experience. They're going through an experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, there's really there's so many. I don't. And, and so the like the term code Paisley obviously has a story to it. There's a it background definitely does have it. a story yeah. to it. Um, uh, which is really <laughs> apparent to the people that were there at the point time. It's yeah. probably fairly hard to explain. It, yeah. You know, in, over on a microphone. Um, there's, I think that that's the sticking point with it is that it, it is really contextual and yeah. and yeah. Um, and kind of hard to convey in a third person sense, and it's kind of like really organic and it and it grows in the in like in high pressure. Yeah, I don't. Uh, it, it's it's definitely a thing, and I think <laughs> it needs to be kind of experienced. And it's, and it's something I've never really heard talked about before. But yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll see. Waste too much more time on it. I, I I have always found that with you, like you you very organically just play these things out. You, when I when I try to bring them up, you certainly agree that there's some meaning behind it. Yeah, and the meaning is is pretty intense like it's quite a transcendental kind yeah. of meaning meaning you're really it. super abstract or for, for me man I, I definitely think that this is a product of the fact that I work as a psychologist right one of the major tenets of trying to support people through psychological therapies mm. is being able to pinpoint those aspects of our world which are adaptive and that have some utility and right. that are worth repeating mm. uh, and I guess being as aware as possible of the, the things that are maladaptive or producing negative consequences and generally bear not being repeated so to me um, 
I think that being able to extract out like what you what you're doing psychologically even in the context of what you've already shared that it's a stress coping strategy right is really worth extracting out of in in conversation like sure. this because it's pinpointing that well for you yeah you, you you're putting on an event and so obviously if you're looking through it at certain lenses you wouldn't see that you get something like the development of personal coping strategies right. as a product of you actually being an, an event manager or an event crew member. Mm. And from the outside, no one would see that. Right. But to acknowledge it and, and start having discussions about it, having conversations around it, to me, it, it actualizes it. It brings it into um, uh, main not mainstream consciousness so much. I think that's a whole nother debate that is a different tangent. But it makes it more clear, makes it more real and available. Mm. It becomes like a like you were talking about we were talking about before, it becomes a heuristic, a way yeah. to be able to order our thinking so that we can you know, some people might not have um the the courage that you you do to be able to put yourself in that position and work up through the hierarchies to be working at festivals the way that you do. Um, but if some people, for example, who are completely lost in their life and really looking to develop coping strategies um, that happened to be completely preoccupied on festival culture, they might actually take a volley position and get started on their journey yep. and end up developing coping strategies that they would never have otherwise been able to develop. Yeah. And I without think having the kind of conversations that we're having, that kind of gets lost. Yeah. Or could get lost. Not that it always does, but... I'd recommend it to anybody. If, if you, if you want to, uh, you know, if you're interested in, um, I guess, learning about people uh and 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 yourself mm -hmm. and and yourself in your capacity to be able to 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 interact with people and maybe maybe uh deal with people's um various in, in their spectrum of humanity yeah uh then maybe take up you know, go and go and work at a checkpoint or something at a, at a, a um, uh, in the campgrounds at a festival. You know, because you you will you'll definitely see some stuff. Mm. You know, all facets and and yeah, it's definitely it's a learning curve. You know, <laughs> uh, yeah, I I really I think anyone I, I I really value like volunteers and the ones that really shine. Uh, generally, amazing, amazing people. You know, mm. yeah. You will. There's, there's all, there's all sorts out there, uh, and you'll see a fair, a fair slice of them. You know, just working at a festival. Yeah. 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 Well, it it does seem to be the major intersection for exploring culture that's mm. available to us i mean you know the restrictions that are placed on us uh, in in normal society um, means that you know we, we can't really explore our, ourselves 
um, to the degree that we're sovereign. And as far as I understand it, that's the main idea of, yeah. of transformational festivals. Absolutely. I, th- I think that there is still a way to go, Jared. And that's kind of why I really I, I value having these kind of discussions with people like you that are in the, the position that you are, having had the experience that you've, you've had. And for, for me personally, um, you know, I think that they're, they're, the models of festivals are starting to improve. I think that there's still a lot of dinosaur ideas um, that are quite um, prominent within festival designs. Um, but I, I would really like to think that we're developing a, a microcosm which really is a platform to be able to experiment with different uh, ways of, of being human and how to how we explore that together. And yeah, I, I've certainly felt that things have changed in, in events that I've attended to, to the point where um, feeling safe to be able to, you know, explore certain certain things, particularly for me, altered states of consciousness is, is not, a thing for me anymore uh, in in an environment like that like mm. it's um it's just yeah I, i've stopped doing it yeah and um, because yeah when i mean i've had my experiences back in the day that uh, i didn't i didn't feel safe i wasn't looked after um and that's both a personal uh, there's personal responsibility that i take in that for sure um there's my 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 um next sphere of like my family or you know the the people that I go with or whatever that's another level of responsibility um but then at the end of the day uh, I, I think that the fact that we have to try and attempt to ha- to have these kinds of experiences within a society which then has limitations and restrictions that it imposes mm. on the actual culture itself at the end of the day it, it to me it kind of makes it feel like there's always going to be inherent problems right with it um and that i mean that's a that is a massive discussion it's, that's, yeah that's a big one yeah. but you know like well so with the with the kind of you know with altered states and you know they say that the most important thing is always set and setting yeah you know yeah. and and there's a there's a there's obviously a degree of uh, surrender you know that comes with that mm. um and it's you know buy the ticket take the ride mm-hmm. you know that's really true um in that if you if you're going to surrender yourself into that kind of state of mind in a in a festival environment you're really opening yourself up to whatever the, whatever happens mm-hmm. you know um and th- unless you've got a really solid support structure around you you know there's no real way of knowing where that trip is going to take you yeah yeah you know and and this is where i think that we we can um we i think we can make improvements man and i'm not necessarily talking specifically about concepts like dance safe and and stuff like that although harm reduction i think certainly has a place and i think that we would benefit from from probably doing it a little bit more explicitly that is a phone that's my phone 
That is a phone ringing. <laughs> uh, we'll just we'll just pause for a second. Uh, no, we won't because it's just stopped ringing. Oh, okay, okay. Um, yeah, I I I think that I think that a lot of what we're talking about in terms of providing good set and setting uh, to 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 help people have an experience which is integratable because I think that personally. And there it goes again. I'm really sorry. Oh, <laughs> All right. Yeah. Someone, someone wants you. Yeah. Let's uh, let's uh, pause it so we don't record the conversation. Oh. Okay, we're back on. Okay. That was a seamless recording. You see, that was straight away. Yeah. Seamless. Lovely. Okay. So, yeah, man. Um, I. Can't remember what we we're talking about before that. We were rudely interrupted. <laughs> Sorry about that. We, um, we can. We. This is the beauty about technology. We can actually go back and listen, but I don't really like doing that. No. So I think um, we we really just need to sort of tie up any loose ends that you feel that we've got going on at the moment at this point in our discussion. Um. Oh, we were. So we, we were, were kind of, talking about. Well, I mean, the, the the dialogue about festivals. I, I think is one that really needs to be carried on. Yeah. So, I, I, you know, I think some of the themes that we've explored today, I think are really important and I'm really grateful that we've been able to, to sort of talk about them. Um, but yeah, if there's any t- sort of loose ends that you wanted to talk about with, with that, um, but you were, from, from my memory, you were uh, ad- advocating that people could you know, have this experience volunteering at festivals. Mm, and, yeah, and definitely. Getting involved with this sort of, of work or or experience uh, to to really learn about others and themselves and, and learn about yourself. Yeah, it, it definitely is um, is an opportunity to 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 really learn. Um, it's like on a social kind of interactive scale of things. That's yeah. something we touched on earlier and I think that really relates uh, well to festivals and, and and kind of where we're at today with the, f- with the, s- with the scene and is um, we, we talk- talked earlier about um, the framework of the maritime law and, mm-hmm. and how people govern themselves and I think that actually in where I've seen that dynamic the strongest is in in the festival format and the outdoor music scene um particularly back in the days where um where police presence and security weren't necessarily as prevalent as they are these days Mm -hmm. um was the ability for people to problem solve and self-regulate um in an environment like that and I think that it was more effective more effective and with less problems than what I've what I've seen lately with uh, kind I'm of over regulation I'm really grateful for you, for you bring this up I think it's a it's a really really important uh, thing to extract out of this yeah I, I agree Andy I I personally i mean you bring you bring that up really strikes a chord with me because um i've mentioned a couple of times in this discussion how the appeal to me was 
uh, going to festivals, the appeal to me was being able to have meaningful dialogue with people. Mm. Um, but what you're describing about this self, self-regulatory phenomena was certainly something that I noticed myself too yeah. and I found fascinating. And to be honest, now that you've brought it up, I'm probably correct in saying that it was probably the main motivating factor. There was something about it that I noticed that I found extremely important. Um, that self-regulating factor to me back in the day was like, it was a, it was a divine revelation. It was like, this is the answer. Yeah. Like, it was that strong for me. Mm. It was like, this is it. Yeah, like, we need to demolish governments and demolish institutions of authority and we need to get back to self-regulated societies right it was so powerful yeah um but i i have brought up a couple of times throughout this discussion as well some of the inherent problems that i've been noticing um the the young people that that get on board and then then their egos develop i've discussed that right as an example um to me that that kind of thing is it is exemplifying it's indexing that that self-regulation um, benefit i think it's diminished now it's not quite there as much and like from what it no i think like it's and that's because that's because there is a regulating body that's what you, you're bringing up that yeah there is this so people are external people are kind of referring that kind of control over to the authorities because that's what they're there for so is the that benefit of of developing self-regulation strategies and we've also discussed self co- like coping mechanisms as mm. well do do you believe that it is possible to maximize the opportunity for those in amongst a world that is regulated by an external authority do you think they can coexist at the same time not really not, not, not the way I see it, because, because, because uh, people, as soon as there is that external body, they hand responsibility over onto that body. Yep, I you see know what, what you're I mean? saying, yeah. That's, yeah. So they don't, because people, because there wasn't necessarily that authority, you know, there before, people had to have... Yeah, it was a Lord Strategy. of the Flies kind of situation. Yeah, kind of, but yeah. it re- it always worked out, and it was always yeah a really positive resolution. Yeah, you know, I never yeah, and I've seen that happen. Yeah, and I'm yeah, it's certainly motivated me to be part of it. You know, I've seen people I've seen people step out of line sometimes really badly and get sat down by you know by whatever group of people decide to tackle the issue, mm-hmm. and for that. Um, experience to end up being completely transformative for that person that stepped out of line. Do you know where they because fully the organic grasped, way that the group dealt with it? Yeah, because they're not getting handled by outcomes. a cop or a security guard. Yeah, they're actually getting dealt with by just people. Yeah, then they it kind of they grasp that their behaviour or whatever was out of line and unacceptable mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so their, their motivation to actually mod- modify their behavior and improve their behavior 
it, it comes from the within it's self-motivating to, yeah. to change it because mm. otherwise they would be they're being out, shunned they would be outcast yeah in that group that would, yeah yeah i mean and that's a very i mean that as far as i see it and understand it is is a core tenant of of tribal culture which i believe is worth keeping sure um and this is another huge theme that actually has been starting to come up a lot on the podcast probably posited by myself mainly yeah, yeah. and that is the discussion that tribalism in terms of being the tribe and all the rest of it is not the be all and end all of, of everything and that there is a lot of inherent problems that come with tribalism sure. that unless we be aware about it we are going to repeat the lessons of history yeah. if we only want to be tribes oh, because it becomes futile yeah yeah so, yeah. so this isn't yeah this is another theme that keeps mm. coming out so it's important for me and, and it's because of um, the, the amount of conversations I've had at festivals that I don't think is meaningful where I'm on the side of a dance floor with some intoxicated person going we've got to be a tribe man you know it's all about the tribe and yeah, like yeah. that kind of discussion to me there's you know it's not meaningful and then f f if I then bring up um, so do you kind of identify that like Nazi Germany was a product of tribalism <laughs> or Mao's China, you know, and then all of a sudden defense mode comes in and it's, you know, like, you know, their idea of a tribe is, you know, um, the, the South Southern American you know, Aztecs that, you know, created these wonderful calendars that mm. saw into the future. I've got no clue about really and and this is <laughs> what trials are in, you know are inherent with that kind of living yeah but so th this is this is i think a very in important uh, dialogue to be having um particularly because we are uh we are in a, a culture particularly our local culture which is quite hippie and and they do have those ideals mm. quite a core tenant of a lot of people's sure. ideals um, but getting back to um, the, the the festival culture, uh, I believe that what you ho were highlighting in terms of how people can come together as a group, putting on a festival, and then organically deal with some kind of issue that comes up in a in a transformative kind of way, yeah. is a quality that people probably do identify was very positive in regards to tribalism yeah and it is a tri it is a facet of tribal culture sure absolutely uh, but that is something that i think is uh, is worth adopting and carry on into the future yeah it's one of those positive things that i think that if we start using it more i think we'll get better outcomes in society yeah i don't i can't well and the way things are going at the moment i can't see it swinging that way because of um because of government intervention um, and yeah, yeah. and for it's kind of a it, it I understand why it happens. I wish that it didn't happen. Basically, where mm -hmm. as soon as a festival hits a certain size, yeah, and I've seen it over and over, yeah. Um, as soon as it becomes, as, as soon as the local government or the authorities become aware of it, they are compelled to become involved yep. 
Yeah. Um, and as soon as that happens, there uh, there is a breakdown of some really fundamental things about the event that makes it good. Yeah, and I I personally believe that this is worth us exploring more, and and being able to extract and understand what this means because to me there's a couple of things going on one is well what is it about the imposed structure of of authority Mm. that is actually negative in this particular context what we need to know that because if it's being um if it's being applied to this kind of context Mm then it's obviously also being applied to other social contexts as well. And if inherently the system of authority that is being imposed upon social groups gathering is detrimental to to the positive outcome, we need to change it. Right. Um, Because it's obviously one of the sources of dysfunction in in our culture and society. I would 100% agree with that. And I think it's it's definitely magnified in those sorts of situations. Yeah. Um, because, the two, because the two structures that we're talking about don't really mesh together. You know, one, one, one has to bend to fit the other one. Yeah. And it's always going to yeah. be... So do you think then it's a fear of mutiny kind of situation? Like, is, are they not willing... To, to push the off button <laughs> to see what happens <laughs> No, if they don't come down and enforce their authority on it? I don't think that they really... They, they don't accept any other kind of reality. But why? Why? And that's why... Like, I, I just came up with that term. Is it, a, is it the fear of mutiny? Like, are they... Oh, yeah, well... Are they concerned that... You know, if this other paradigm is is they don't see it like that. To thrive, they see it, it as being a completely. Them. There's no control. Do you know what I mean? They see it as unregulated. You know that it's chaos to yeah. them, and that and they are the lawgivers, and then you know they need to be there to to Bring keep order. order you know, even though nine times out of ten, what they actually do is bring chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've I've witnessed it happen mm-hmm. where through that so, sort of control and that structure, what would have been quite a peaceful outcome becomes com- like a, almost a near riot. You know. Yeah. Well, I th- I think it's worth bringing into the discussion at this stage that it also happens in the mental health field Mm. in in the public mental health context so to speak authority and its inherent structure intersects or interacts with somebody with a mental illness and often the outcome of the enforcement of that authority exacerbates the mental illness which produces a far more negative outcome than it would have otherwise needed to be yeah However, there is, there is discussions that are starting to emerge where it's identified as a serious problem in the context of, of public mental health management. Sure. Um, and, and I have certainly, um, I've got first-hand experience where you know, we're starting to develop 
social structures where at least at this stage public mental health clinicians are starting to develop relationships with authorities right so that look even the fact that we're interacting means that we can have some kind of influence so there's no way under any circumstances am i saying that police are all of a sudden going to turn a blind eye to what they think is chaos that they need to bring order to right but i think it's got to start somewhere Mm. and i think that the the landscape of this needs to be transformed and i think that it with with anything in terms of of culture it needs to be transformed from both bottom up and top down and and eventually it will sort of you know converge in the middle to produce some outcome um, but yeah i i think that it's starting to happen there is there's definitely dialogue that's starting to happen to occur i mean i, I don't know how things are going in general in Australia with law enforcement at festivals, but um, it seems to be that that it is starting to get a bit better in other places around the world. They are starting to develop a more integrative type relationship, uh, and and I really think that the the festival setting is absolute paramount for experimenting with that and watching how it works and how it all unfolds but ultimately i think that uh, it really needs to also be applied in public as well Mm. in general general society contexts Um, and i see it firsthand man all the time people um, certainly uh, in the substance use category the way that that intersects with criminality is just it's just really detrimental to our right. society and it, and it does need to be changed and there is change happening we're living in a time where things are changing mm. policies are starting to be rewritten in terms of the therapeutic benefit of substances that have been illegal for a long time and um, that's happening now yeah that's good in isn't a it? lifetime and so to me i think it all works you know as a big machine and various different facets of our social and cultural world influences other facets and so I, I'm, I'm hopeful that in time uh, we'll be able to you know 20 years time we'll be able to have another conversation together and we'll be able to look back and I again it's my optimist in me I think that we'll be able to say that some of the things that we've learned from the festival setting that get applied into everyday normal life uh, that's actually benefited us culturally and socially yeah that's kind of how like it's how i've always looked at um looked at festivals is like building you kind of build like a a microcosm yeah you know you build a you build a a temporary town for Mm. four days a week Mm. um and it's got to it has to function has to function and if it doesn't well i mean i've never actually seen one not function but um you know it, it's it's people based and it's um sh- you know based on sharing and um reciprocity yeah and 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 um uh <laughs> um your own responsibility mm-hmm. you know responsibility. for for your for your condition yeah and so here's a big question man 
I get the general impression from a lot of people within the festival scene mm. that in order to be able to manifest those kind of learning platforms that you just spoke about, that the environment is the be-all and end-all of it so that there seems to be this narrative emerging that normal society should be more like festivals in order for us to be able to um, reclaim our sovereignty and, right. and reclaim our personal responsibility. Yep. I think this is really restrictive thinking. I don't, I don't think this is a real sort of functional narrative to be developing because, as you said, festivals are a microcosm. Mm. And, you know, as, as utopian as it would be, to have a festival every single day of your life and live in that world all the time, it, reality, like social and cultural reality, is actually not that. No, there's a there's a bigger sphere in, in which the festivals are operating in, which we've already explored. Yeah. So yeah, to me, I, I really I see it as a a practice ground that, sure. that, that then can create psychological uh, emotive spiritual frameworks which then help us become better people which then has realistic application in the, the wider world i think it's kind of our own it's a it's a, a it's a romantic notion that people have got that they they're these things that kind of that operate themselves and um that it could be applied into the into the wider world. I mean, there's definitely there's definitely aspects that could be, mm -hmm. um, but I think that what that would really mean would be th the same as at a festival would be a very small amount of people under a massive amount of pressure, uh, babysitting a massive amount of adult babies. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I'm just I'm wondering if. What's the, what's the Prime Minister's name at the moment, Scott Morrison? Yeah. I wonder if his little posse feels the same way sometimes. No. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't think Australian politics at the moment could be applied to yeah, any that's kind a bit, of... Yeah, that's a bit contentious, that. Yeah. I know. But it, it makes me think that. You know, like yeah. if, if those small few who are kind of really running the show... Um, you know, under under that sort of pressure, uh, it makes me think of the putting it into the wider context. And they're all really preoccupied with how they're going to line each other's pockets. I don't think that they're really. Well, I think I think you, yeah, you touch on something that's really really worth exploring, um, and that is the overall intention of the people that are putting together these things and holding holding the pressure. Well, that is. You know, and that is probably something that could be looked at in the wider world is that generally the people that are, are running festivals, not all of them, you know, there is definitely the, um, the, the festivals that have kind of are only run for a, um, for a financial outcome and, mm. you know, and, th and those are, are, are fairly obvious, but on the whole the people that are looking after festivals are doing it with the with the safety and the well-being and the and the and the end result good times of their patronage um 
at the foremost you know at, at the foremost of transformational festivals specifically is just to sort of really yeah i would say so it. like you know that is That's at the forefront of their motivation is yeah. the um the user experience end game user experience for their for their customers you know what i mean and i think that that isn't necessarily the way that politics gets run yeah you yeah. know yeah. but uh, that's kind of a, a bit of a yeah that's totally. a rabbit hole but totally yeah yeah and no, that's it's a good way good way of looking at it so yeah i mean that's why i've re repeated many times um you know I, I think it's worth having discussions like this and, and extracting out of of the experiences that we have mm. the meaning and things that we can maybe apply into life and work out you know ways to be able to make the world a better place yeah but fundamentally I, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said that it's really about personal responsibility it is about personal responsibility and, and that has ongoing implications for things like parenting and education uh, and the, the, our media structures and, and all that sort and of stuff. And personal responsibility, like it also, it brings into itself um, that your personal responsibility to watch out for the people around you. Yeah, and, yeah. and, you know, I think that's very, it's a really important um, facet of personal responsibility, you know. And I think if it, 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 I think it would make a. People are, from from my own experience, and without being too negative about it, you know, I, th I tend to see people offloading their their own personal responsibility, onto third parties, mm -hmm. you know, and and. And kind of going, oh. That's not my problem, you know. If someone else is having a bit of a hard time, you know, even though it's in their their sphere you know what i mean and they should feel some kind of obligation to i don't know uh, that's the per the, the kind of personal responsibility that yeah. I, I see and i think it's missing everywhere not yep. just in festivals and and to to thread this back to earlier parts of our conversation this I think of the, the the products and the results of the social media anomalies that mm. we were discussing earlier people they're actually practicing being able to log out practice having the veil over yep. and that makes people be lot a lot less inclined to take personal responsibility sure it becomes habitual yeah. to not take personal responsibility yeah no you can log out yeah, not my problem and I think people are starting to act that out in in the world yeah um, but yeah, man, uh, just before we, we started recording, uh, I, I was sharing with you that I've got tickets to go and see Jordan Peterson yep. and, and you hadn't heard of Jordan Peterson before. No. And look, this I'm is... I'm definitely going to be looking it up though. Well, it's, it's brilliant that our, our conversation confer has converged to, to this point because I, I really believe that one of the major messages that Jordan Peterson, Peterson is... Um, is sharing he's not selling it he's 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 just putting it out there and people seem to be responding to it in a way um, like it's something that they've needed to hear for a very very long time but the main key message is all about personal responsibility hmm. it's all about well you know there is a lot of different layers to our experience of being and almost to the stage where it's infinitely complex 
So you know what? Instead of trying to continuously work out how to manage an infinitely complex structure of experience, the best thing that we've got is to actually take res- personal responsibility. Yeah, work on learn, yourself. Work on yourself. Yeah. And, and in that process, you want the best for others and you want the best for the world and, you, and you'll make decisions that are a lot more resonant with better outcomes. Yeah, I think that's, that's really important. I need to, I need to, I need to watch some of this guy's stuff. I think, but, yeah, but it's well worth it. Yeah, yeah. But um, man, I, I think that's probably a, a really good place for us to maybe. Yeah, I think we got there. Stop, stop our conversation for today. Yeah, and um, and plan for to continue it on in the future, man. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I'd be, yeah, I'd be more than keen to do this again. I think we developed a, a really good dialogue today, man, and. Uh, I really appreciate the opportunity. Um, I have longed to be able to Thank do you, this mate. with you. Cheers. And it's been uh, beyond my my expectations. It really has. Oh, really? So awesome. Oh, good stuff. Well, I, really hope, I hope I hope some other people can get something out of it. Yeah, I I, I think they will, man. Yeah. I really think they will. Um, so the only other thing that I I sort of do in closing um, is that if there's anything that you want to plug or uh, if you do, do you want people to be able to contact you, contact you if they want to hire you for events or anything like that? How do people find you? How uh, do you want to close? I'm uh, I'm open to um, open to ideas, but I, I'm actually feeling like my plate is f- pretty full at the moment. Yep. Um, uh, but I'm out there. You can find me if you look. Cool. <laughs> yeah. So you're open. You're open to strangers coming up to you, going, "I heard you on this podcast. Man. Like you said this thing, and can we sit down and talk about it?" You're open to that. Yeah. Sure. Just remember that if it's in a festival context, Jared could be busy working. So <laughs> <laughs> don't pull him away from his responsibilities. That's please. right. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know anyway. Cool. If I'm uh, if I'm busy, but all right, brother. Well, with that. Let's say goodbye. Thank you so much for being here and thank you all for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Awesome.